0: Hi, I'm Terry Farrell, and I play Judd Zia Dax on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Neil
1: for Pod. I hope that's what it is. I love you guys. Live long and prosper.
0: Kneel Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod.
2: Hello and welcome to Neil Before Pod's monthly news roundup. I'm your host Craig and I'm bringing you all the best nerdy news and trailers chat from the month of April for you to enjoy through the month of May. So consider yourselves lucky. Joining me this month, I've got Isaac. He's going to talk me some stuff with me. So hi Isaac.
1: Hello, how's it going?
2: Going okay. How are you? Yeah, all right. It's a bit rainy. Yeah, it's raining and it's the day the world opens up in Scotland and it rains.
1: Yeah. You can have a pint
2: outside, but it's
1: raining. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you've been outside today, but it's wild. People aren't letting to get stuck Yeah, I'm not being outside today. Yeah, I'd stay indoors. It's weird.
2: Well, you know me, I stay indoors most of the time. And even when I go out, I go inside other doors. So that's the way I operate. Although I've been outside a few times with friends because of being allowed to do so. Even I get lonely. My reclusive nerdiness gets lonely sometimes. Are you ready to talk some April stuff? Yeah, let's go for it. Cool. Okay. What we'll start with is a bit of just what we've been up to, what we've been watching. If you have anything to plug, now's the time. So let's start with what have you been watching on the internet or on the television or not in the movie theatre, but in movies? Have you been watching anything worth noting?
1: The most recent thing I saw that was worth note was probably Looping, which was a Netflix series. It's a split series, so the first five episodes are available now, and the next five are coming at the end of the year. And it's basically heist. We've seen anything heisty. Lupin is this character from old fiction, this gentleman burglar. And this series follows someone who's had a bit of a rough life, and that was their hero reading the books, you know, as escapism from a rough childhood. And now they've sort of honed their burglary skills, their thieving skills, their ability to plan and their what's the word not revenge they're correcting the wrongs like the people who wrong them throughout their adolescence they are working through and destabilizing any crime syndicates and dodgy dealings and yeah so it's five episodes so far it's really addictive it's good because it's very like sometimes heist things can be overly convoluted but this is one where they've got it at the right level of it's impressive how they've planned out the heist but it's obvious when you then see, you know, at the end of the episode or whatever you see, this is what they did, they did this and this. And sometimes it can be like, oh, yeah, but what are the chances of distracting this laser grid with a penny or whatever? Whereas this is like almost clever enough that anyone could do it, but obviously put that on TV. <laughs> but, yeah, no, so that's looping. Other than the major big Disney Plus stuff, that's about the newest thing I've seen. Cool. So nothing else been
2: on the go? That's just been your whack television-wise?
1: Pretty much, yeah. Fair dues.
2: I've actually been watching quite a lot. We'll get onto the plugging of stuff next, but I've been watching quite a few things other than the stuff I've been reviewing, which has been Falcon and Winter Soldier, which is now finished, Batwoman, The Flash, Supergirl, Superman and Lois, which is on hiatus, Black Lightning, which is on its final season. I interviewed a director that directed some episodes of Black Lightning, so that was really cool, really cool to speak to her. She was brilliant. She had so much to say and gave me some great insight into how the process works and what goes on and how they manage to account for COVID restrictions and things like that. So worth a listen, for sure. Not for me, just for her, because she talks a lot and I barely say anything, which is the perfect interview as far as I'm concerned. She had so much to say, so there's a plug for me. But I've also not been reviewing, but watching the CW reboot of Kung Fu, which is about an Asian-American girl who gets caught up in this big situation where she has to fight a lot, and it's really good as a lot of the CW trappings. So if you don't like CW trappings, you'll hate it, but... It works well with them, and it's got interesting characters, good acting, and so on. That's three episodes in at the time of recording, and I've been pretty well enjoying it. I've seen the first episode of The Nivers, which is the not Joss Whedon TV series, that is totally the Joss Whedon TV series, and I enjoyed it. And I enjoyed it for the same reasons that I enjoy all Joss Whedon TV shows. So again, if you're not into his style, you're not going to like it. But it's really good. looks really good. The actors are amazing. The premise is interesting. The world they've built up is really cool, so... I'd heavily recommend that as well. So that's a lot of stuff I've been watching on TV. For movies, I watched Godzilla vs. Kong, and I did not care for it. You were there when we went to see Godzilla King of the Monsters in the cinema, and we came out and we all had the same Oh problem. yeah, that was yeah. <laughs> in, yeah. Here are long scenes of people you don't care about talking in rooms with screens in them, and there's a lot of that in this film. And There's so many characters, and none of them are really that interesting, and... The action's cool, but it takes too long to get there. So I feel like with Warner Brothers, outside of the Snyder Cut, everything they've released on streaming has been just not that good. <laughs> That's it. You've got Wonder Woman 1984, which was disappointing. You've got Godzilla vs. Kong, which has been disappointing. And yeah, so I don't think I want to see it in the cinema, but if they ever did a super cut, whereby... I could just watch all the fights for like half an hour and then leave. I'd probably do that, but I don't think they will. they make me sit through the rest of the boring story.
1: <laughs> i definitely fine with King of the Monsters. There's so much lightning and stuff getting destroyed. After a while, like, this is just sort of not painful to watch. This is getting heavy on my poor mind.
2: King Ghidorah disappeared inside a lightning storm. No, Oh no, he is the lightning storm.
1: <laughs> he is the lightning storm. He emerges from a volcano. Just tone it down a wee bit. Just make it a bit easier.
2: <laughs> yeah. So I wasn't a huge fan. I thought the monster fighting was cool and I was engaged with that, but I really wish I was watching it not on my TV and on a big IMAX screen, but I wasn't. So it didn't have the same impact it otherwise would have. I watched Mortal Kombat, which I didn't like either. It tried to just take itself too seriously and gave me so much story and so much lore and so much extra stuff I didn't need. You just need a simple story where they fight in a tournament. That's all you need. And they didn't get Just a couple of fatalities. Yeah, and... It's so weird because when it does eventually deliver the flawless victory lines or fatality or whatever, it doesn't feel like it's in keeping with the rest of the film because it spent so long just talking at you.
1: So another
2: swing and a miss for Mortal Kombat as a franchise.
1: Yeah, has not broken the video game curse. (laughs) No, not at all. No.
2: So that's been me. That's what I've been watching. So quite a lot, actually. Yeah. Yeah, quite a lot. I've been busy with my eyes in front of a TV screen. And I'm still continuing my Star Trek rewatch where I'm watching Voyager and Deep Space Nine concurrently. That's just something I dip into here and there and really enjoy. So, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, before we move on to some trailers, have you got anything you want to plug? Any of your artwork or any of your projects or anything i think i'm good for this
1: month on the moment i can't really remember what jobs i'm supposed to be doing so (laughs) once once stuff's done i'll let people know fair enough
2: your instagram and so on will be in the show notes so away you go
1: yeah exactly if it's new it will be there yeah
2: click on it and you'll see what's been happening and i don't know if you share the banners you draw for this website on your instagram or not but they might be there i tend to
1: do them with the recordings
2: okay yeah that makes sense
1: I forgot to do the Division one. I sort of time them so that... Because a lot like of people forget. It's like, oh yeah, I've listened to this like a couple of weeks whenever it's edited.
2: Yeah, that's good. Cool. That's good. For me, plugging, it's just the usual stuff. I have stepped back from Podcast 616 because I was only hosting for Wondivision and Falcon and Winter Soldier, so I won't be hosting Loki. I'll appear, but I won't be hosting. But you'll be able to catch me on various things on the We Made This Network, the the podcast I betray this one for sometimes. Because I don't give myself enough work, apparently. Gotten for punishment, me.
1: Yeah, spread yourself too thin. Never make anything truly great. <laughs> That's the way.
2: <laughs> How dare you say that I don't make anything great. That, that hits me in where I live.
1: <laughs> Never make anything too great.
2: <laughs> yeah, have a baseline of quality. That's the way Based I Baseline of quality. <laughs> Even if it's low, at least you're consistent. Right, cool. Let's talk some trailers. So... First trailer I'm gonna bring up is Jupiter's Legacy, the Mark Miller slash Millar Universe, Miller World, Millar World, adaptation of some comics that I've never read. I like the trailer. I think it looks really interesting as a premise. The visuals look amazing. The acting looks good. I'm really for this. I really want to watch it. And usually the Netflix stuff that gets dumped on Netflix, I don't get around to it, but I think I'll try and make a point of seeing this. I think it just looks quite fresh and exciting and quite iconic in a lot of ways, so I know nothing about the comics, I don't know how accurate it is, but I'm pretty amped for it. It has to be said.
1: I don't know the source material or anything really that Mark Miller has done other than kick-ass. I don't know any of the specific stuff. But this looks, again, it's another cynical superhero thing. But the more the trailer went on, the more I was like, nah, not not for me, (laughs) not interested. A lot of this, oh, it's all responsibility and that. I think we're reaching a point, which is the standard sort of progression of you know, we had lots of superhero movies, and they're starting to question like the morality and the rules of superhero-ness. Which is fine, but it's not very escapism. <laughs> <laughs> I quite like not thinking too much about, oh, but the world's terrible. It's like, I know, that's why I went to the movies to watch superheroes. <laughs> <laughs> Leave me alone for two hours. It looks lovely in terms of the kind of Justice League-style six in a sort of half-circle. The flying and the capes and the costumes and stuff, but the more I went on, the more I was like, I'm losing interest by the second <laughs>
2: Well, I'll let you know what I think, if and when I watch it, when it appears. I think it's, what, the 7th of May, so it's a week from the date where you'll be listening to this. So it's nearly here, so that's cool. Yeah, I'll give it a watch, probably, at least one episode, just to see if I like it. There's quite a lot of visual iconography, and I quite like that. And yeah, it is riffing on DC stuff quite heavily, I suppose. But what isn't? even when you make original characters, they're just going to invite comparisons to the ones that you know and love, aren't they?
1: Yeah, pretty much. All the options are kind of done with superos. It's either a cape or a mask or a armor. Yeah, they're three goes, and everyone's fed kind on of them. So we kind of we're aware of that now. Like we're just happy with it.
2: Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Let's move on then. Star Wars: The Bad Batch, which will be almost out by the time I publish this podcast. It appears on May the Fourth, Star Wars Day, which we have an Attack of the Clones special ready to drop. So be ready for that. I don't know if it's a full series or whether it's one episode at a time. I don't really know. But I wasn't that fussed about this when I first heard about it because I didn't like the Bad Batch episodes of the Clone Wars. But seeing this trailer, I really like the look of it. I like the they've gone rogue in the Empire era, running away from Tarkin and so on, this scrappy group of slightly wrong clones that have different skills because they're slightly wrong clones. I like the look of it based on this trailer that they released. It's pretty decent.
1: It's got one sort of big benefit. Watch The Clone Wars when it originally came out. and They recently did Series 7. And there was that sort of thing of, I don't want to watch like six series of a thing to go into the seventh series. Whereas this (laughs) looks like, you're not going to be like, oh yeah, here's some Mandalorian you need to have known about to chat to. Or here's this thread of story. This is just like, oh yeah, you know the universe there's no prior watching you don't really need to see the Bad Batch episodes either they basically explain it in the trailer here's some clones who are a bit more skilled than other ones they all have the sort of classic there's the heavy and the sniper and the guy with the knives it's very simple going in
2: it's your Call of Duty squad isn't it?
1: yeah it's your Call of Duty squad (laughs) and they're just going to go to Star Wars places and shoot robots and stuff looks more accessible than bringing back an old TV show in the Star Wars world And also it's got a nice new, not painted quality to them, but there's a certain quality to this animation that looks, it is kind of painting-ish like. It looks like the strokes, especially in Series 7 of Clone Wars. It's designed in a way, it's not textured, but it's got like a sort of blocky early painting quality to it, which I think looks really nice.
2: You'll know better than me about animation, but cool. Yeah, I think it looks good. I I like the style.
1: It looks really nice, yeah. And it's got Tarkin. Is a rare Star Wars character that looks like we haven't seen him at his full power.
2: Yeah.
1: Because really, he's always got like, the authority in the original films. Like, I want to see his cold, cruel strategies and his fascism on <laughs> full display, which I hope we do get a bit of that here, which would be fun.
2: He's in Rebels sometimes, early on as well. But yeah... Hopefully it'll be, yeah, he's the big boss. He's the one chasing down the Bad Batch for whatever reason. And I'm actually going to watch it. And here's the thing that I was going to say. I don't think this is for me, but I'll give at least the first episode a look based on that trailer. I was yeah. quite pleasantly surprised.
1: I think it is not arriving all at once as well. I think they're going to do it similar to the last Clone Wars series. Was it two episodes at a time? I'm not sure. I, I can't remember. Yeah, but it's going to be like trip fed, which is yeah, a, so, the best yeah. way of doing it.
2: Appointment viewing, weekly viewing. I suppose it's going to lead us into Loki, isn't it? So they'll do however many episodes there are of this, yeah. I think and then we'll have Loki. A,
1: yeah. Loki in uh, June or July or whatever.
2: Yeah. I was going to put the new trailer for Loki down, but I didn't actually watch it, because I feel like I've seen enough to whet my appetite, so I didn't bother watching the new trailer. Same with Black Widow. I don't need to see another trailer for it. I'm already hooked. I'm already going to watch it.
1: Yeah, you have to be careful. You don't want the whole story. It's nice to sort of keep something for the experience. It did an Oscars Fast and Furious trailer as well. Did they? Okay. I mean, They've literally just done one. There's been two in like a week.
2: <laughs> so that takes us into our next coverage. So that takes us to our next thing, Fast and Furious 9. The trailer that's not the Oscars trailer, the trailer that is... The trailer that came out, yeah,
1: the second most recent trailer,
2: yeah, that's it. So, we don't know anything about this Oscar one because I haven't watched it. So, the Fast and the Furious franchise isn't my favorite thing. I've enjoyed one of the films, as you know, when we powered through them, yeah, when we were living together. <laughs> I think listeners should be reminded that we did a crossover where we watched Resident Evil and Fast and Furious. Oh,
1: yeah, I watched Resident Evil and Fast and Furious intermittently, <laughs> which didn't yeah. help to follow any of the franchises. <laughs>
2: But I'm not a huge fan of the franchise. I think the trailer itself is full of enough ludicrous imagery that we've come to expect from
1: it. Yeah, they are very aware that we're not in it for any story. We're in it for <laughs> magnet cars and <in> space and <laughs> stealth jets.
2: carrying cars, yeah.
1: Vin Diesel's unbreakable head <laughs> getting <laughs> smashed through steel beams and whatever.
2: But only as many times or more times than the other guy he's fighting. Yeah. And a truck that's driving on its hind wheels, somehow.
1: Yeah, like a weird vertical truck.
2: <laughs> it's a truck that refuses to flip.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. The diesel's probably carrying it and just running with it. <laughs>
2: probably. So I can't say I'm that fussed about it. I will see it because I've seen all the other ones and I ended up enjoying the eighth one for some reason. But I don't remember why. But I did quite enjoy Roman just pointing out in the trailer. Is it Roman? Tyrese's character?
1: I call him Tyrese and Ludacris. I can't remember the character name, so...
2: Him, anyway, he was talking about, have we taken stock of how ridiculous everything we do is? We did this, and we did this, and there's cars in the air. Yeah, Okay, you know, I think you mentioned he's a bit like the Deadpool of the Fast and Furious franchise. He knows what film he's in.
1: Slightly, yeah, because he was talking about Baby Oil with any scene with the rocket... (laughs) Yeah. And the last couple of ones. He's the audience member on the inside. Yeah. I think this looks like the perfect movie to go back to the cinemas to. Yeah, we've been watching everything on our TV screens and when I want to go back to the cinema, I want to see something so stupid and loud and 3D and IMAX and nonsense.
2: We could do a team trip and sit at a distance watching Fast and Furious and, yeah.
1: We've spent like a year and a bit locked in and I just want to go see something big and stupid that is... Unlike, say, when you're talking about the monster universe, it's just focused on being big and stupid. It doesn't try to weave any story in. It knows it's silly. It knows it's... No one believes that John Cena is Vin Diesel's brother. But <laughs> it's got that right level of awareness of that it is just essentially a weird circus. And it's just how much dumb stuff can we put in a movie and have Vin Diesel be really believing in it. This is Oscar-worthy stuff for him. <laughs> <laughs> He thinks this is the most serious thing on the planet and it brings a sort of joy to it. It's like when a kid's telling you a story they're really into about what they did at school and you're sort of framing interest but you get more interested because of their interest. It's a weird vanity project for him that has just got better and better. (laughs) So I'm super looking forward to this one.
2: Let's never forget that the first film was about him trying to steal DVD players.
1: Yeah. I think we'll find out that one of the DVD players had the binary code to eternal life in it or something. (laughs) We'll go back to that. Vin Diesel will know something about those specific DVD players. They'll have nuclear access codes in them, or one of them contained a disc that had the shortcut to open any lock in the world or whatever. That's why you had to get them.
2: Darkseid will turn up and find out that they... Anti-life equation was in a disc that was in one of the DVD Yeah, I've
1: mean, a disc and a DVD player.
2: <laughs> yeah. So cool, you're excited. Um indifferent, I think, is the best word for it. I'll see it, of course. And especially if we can get a
1: team trip, I think it'll be good if we can... Yeah, it's a great film to go and watch with a load of people who just want to be outside for a bit with people.
2: <laughs> yeah, if we're vaccinated, everything's safe enough, and we can all go and just yeah. enjoy a day watching this, and then whatever.
1: Yeah, that is the ideal for any of the listeners are planning a big group trip to the cinema this is the tailor-made roller coasters type experience (laughs) of a film you need to go see
2: yeah
1: i don't know timothy chalamet sat in a library thinking about the future or something can you watch that at home (laughs) you can't see a magnet car do a flip in space at home i mean you can but it would have the same impact you can but won't be as good yeah
2: cool let's move on then let's go to the marvel cinematic universe. We have a trailer for Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Quite a short trailer, doesn't give you any indication of plot. The one thing I picked up is it seems that they've altered his origin so that the Mandarin's his father. In the comics, it's someone called Fu Manchu that's his father. He's a villain and Shang-Chi starts as a villain. So I think they're doing a similar thing here but they're just changing out his actual origin for connecting him to the Mandarin. The combat in the trailer looks good. The visuals look good. There's a bus chase thing with Aquafina driving a bus, which might be a reference to speed. We don't know, but it looks good. I think it's probably the best Marvel trailer I've seen in a while, actually.
1: I've seen a few people mention it. It's just refreshing because it's a Marvel trailer for something that has no link to anything. Yeah, which I think has been the first one since I can't remember when. Maybe Black Panther. No, but Black Panther still had like claw and stuff. Ant Man, maybe. Maybe Ant Man interact with the world. I can't Well, not initially. Maybe Guardians of the Galaxy is probably a better example of here's part of the universe we just haven't seen. I mean, this isn't as far away as like a different galaxy. It's just Asia. But (laughs) it's far enough. (laughs) It's fresh and exciting looking. And the villains is it a death stalker or death dealer with those theatrical samurai mask thing and all that makeup and. Yeah, it just looks super cool, and it doesn't look like another Thor and Falcon and like the people we know running around saying the same quips and referencing. <laughs> oh yeah, on your left, etc. Oh no, this is a new movie with new characters. <laughs> it just looks really refreshing and looks really yeah.
2: good. And I like that they've changed the rings to like, rings around his arm rather than the rings on fingers. I'm guessing they don't want people to get mixed up with the Infinity Stones, so they've made them visually different while still making them rings. So that's a it's a different feel, different visual.
1: Yeah, it's a, a fun new way of dealing with them.
2: Yeah, and I'm sure they'll go into the alien spaceship crashes with these ten power rings that do different things. They'll maybe go into that or show you how they work or something like that, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I have no idea about the world of Chang chi and I'm not going to look into it too much because it's kind of more fun, especially with stuff like when I was watching Doctor Strange or Infinity War, where I'm not reading the material ahead of time. I want to see it in the cinema and then you get the right surprises and the right moments and you can always read the other stuff later. I yeah. prefer that way round and research afterwards. Enjoy the film first.
2: Yeah, I only know bits and pieces about him from seeing him team up with the Avengers or whatever in other comics. I don't think I've read any Shang-Chi-specific comics. Yeah. Maybe I have at some point, but I'm not sure. I don't really know.
1: Yeah, it's a bit of a mystery character, which is always fun.
2: Yeah, it's pretty cool, and the trailer looks good. So September. Should be able to go and see it at the cinema then.
1: Should be, yeah, I think by that. Should be uh, pretty good. Touch Pretty good, hopefully. <laughs> yeah see what happens
2: (laughs) (laughs) okay let's move on army of the dead netflix movie directed by Zack snyder where it's a heist movie with also zombies i like the trailer i like how it's we're going to do this heist and then oh god where did all these zombies come from i like the style of that but it made me wonder do they know they're in a zombie apocalypse are they just finding this out now how did this happen but it looks pretty cool snyder's really good at visual stuff
1: it's a heist thing so it should be pretty simple yeah, it's got some fun new zombie stuff. I've not seen Dawn of the Dead. There's been a few of these, actually, this month. It's like, is this a sequel, or is it just a new thing? It's a new thing. So it's not connected to his Dawn of the Dead. we are not characters we're meeting again. This is a fresh new bat.
2: No, well, spoilers, every character in Dawn of the Dead actually dies at the end. Okay, so,
1: yeah. Maybe they'll cameo with zombies. Maybe. We'll see.
2: Somehow they've gotten from an island that they went to, to Las Vegas. Somehow they got there.
1: Maybe. Uh, it's been a while. You're, not, you're shuffling Grim Reaper zombies. These are the uh, the more the active ones. But think there's, there's a tiger as well. A tiger? Yeah. I'm assuming the zombie plague is affected as zoo, but I think it'd be funny to see less predatory monster animals, like zombie flamingos or zombie meerkats. You're like, oh, look at a cute little meerkat. You're like, oh know. Suddenly it's horrible. It's everywhere. It's tiny. The zombie sloth.
2: It just doesn't Yeah, lie. zombie
1: sloth. <laughs> All those like, little zombie reptiles in the reptile house and they're behind that little glass it's like this is fine. <laughs> so Zombie spiders is freaky. That'd be a good one.
2: You're just describing enemy types in Resident Evil.
1: Yeah just enemy types in Resident Evil.
2: <laughs> yeah all of that. Well most of that. Definitely have spiders. Yeah. Mutant spiders. I don't think they're really zombies, but they're giant mutant spiders. So I'm gonna watch this. I will definitely watch it. I think it looks really fun. And it's got Dave Batista in it. And I like Dave Batista, so he's
1: just getting into fun projects now. He's got a good attitude to movie. He's having a laugh with it, which is always the best.
2: Yeah, decent. Okay, next up, Love, Death and Robots, which is some Netflix animated anthology thing. I haven't seen the first season, but I think it was Aaron was talking about how great it was, how much he loved it, and I have watched this trailer, and that trailer made me think I need to watch season one. This looks really good. How did I miss this? Why have I not watched it? I
1: had to look. It was a Netflix. Thing. It's not like they've bought the rights after series one. This is a Netflix thing that just nobody noticed. Yeah. That looks great. It looks really imaginative and looks like you've got a fair few different styles in there as well, which obviously adds to the anthology-ness. There's some more realistic-looking stuff and then some more...
2: Abstract stuff. Yeah.
1: Abstract stuff or like flat stuff. And I don't know if there's like a top pick of the month. but I think this is the thing that looks the most exciting or at least the most new from what we've got.
2: And season one's there, so you can see it, Season like. one's
1: there, so you can watch it. Yeah. I might forget, but I'll try not to forget.
2: <laughs> try not to forget, just take a note,
1: yeah. Okay, next up
2: on Hulu, or I think it's going to be on Disney Plus as well, over here anyway, Modoc. I don't like this. It looks like an extended robot chicken sketch. Me and Kat talked about the first clip of it last month, and I wasn't fussed.
1: <laughs> I didn't like it at all. I think it looks terrible. <laughs> yeah. It looks like it's from the Robot Chicken era. Yeah, it looks really out of date. I know it's, it's not. It's Pat oswald and he's fairly funny. And it's like taking a supervillain and put him in like a domestic thing. We have like, I know it's John Hamazine Man and all this stuff. We're watching it was like oh, I just feel so weird and naughties and early family guy in that era. <laughs> it's like ugh.
2: Yeah, I used to like that sort of stuff, but I've kind of grown out of it a bit.
1: Yeah, same. It's not, as, not in high school anymore. It's not as cool.
2: <laughs> yeah, oh, so we're not too fussed about that Fair dues so, yeah. Next trailer is the hitman's wife's bodyguard You've got Ryan Reynolds, you've got Samuel Jackson You've got Salma Hayek I think it looks pretty good, it looks pretty fun I like Ryan Reynolds in comedy action It looks like a good fit for him in this case Yeah,
1: he's just Deadpool now, isn't he?
2: I think he's always been Deadpool, to be honest
1: yeah, I'm wondering if he's ever going to want to do something where he's not just the Deadpool of the film. If it works for him, why not? He cemented it in, and I'm getting a little bored. And again, this is another thing of, was there a Hitman's bodyguard?
2: Yeah, I actually didn't research whether this is a sequel or not, but there is the Hitman's bodyguard, which I don't remember liking that much.
1: I'm on my long list of, is this a sequel or not? <laughs> I was watching it, I was like, yeah, I don't really care, it's just, Ryan Reynolds doing his Deadpool stuff and Samuel Jackson doing his Samuel Jackson stuff.
2: Yeah. My perception of what I'll go and see in the cinema is probably slightly coloured by the fact that I have an unlimited card that doesn't cost me any money to go and see these things, really. It just costs me time, so I end up going to see more than I would. I probably wouldn't pay for something
1: like this, to be honest, but
2: it looks okay to while away an afternoon where it doesn't cost me a thing.
1: Like back in the days of just watching what was on TV. If it was on at, like, 9, on like Channel 4 or something, there's nothing else on it, I'll leave it on. That's kind of the quality of this movie. That'll do. I'll put this on for now and have my tea to this and if I go on my phone after like half an hour that's fine. I've not really missed anything.
2: There, dudes. So the last trailer it's not really a trailer it's a clip from Ghostbusters Afterlife which introduced Mini Puffs which is the Baby Yoda of Stay Puff Marshmallow Man.
1: Yeah, Baby Yoda iconography.
2: Yeah, I'm sure I'm going to love this because I love the Ghostbusters movies, and it looks really good based on the actual trailer that we've got, but does everything need a Baby Yoda? Does everything need a minion? Does everything need one of those little critters that you can sell to kids?
1: I guess it does. Paul Rudd's a good choice to interact with this. He always makes <laughs> yeah. everything kind of fun. If you're going to have a yeah, Baby Yoda Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, at least you got Paul Rudd bouncing off that, so that makes it a bit interesting. This is on my long list of movies that I've forgotten about like Quiet Place 2 and other ones where eventually this might come out or I might just see it on like a DVD shelf in like CEX or something. And I'm like, oh yeah, you made another Ghostbusters. <laughs> that
2: happened, yeah. <laughs> Obviously the pandemic hasn't helped a lot of these films by them being shelved and no one really talking about them. So yeah. They have to start again in terms of hype.
1: It's difficult to get as excited as I used to be able to until things aren't pushed back as much. even now, like, say so Shang-Chi, mm. like in September, was like, well, we'll see. We'll see what happens in September. I hope so. I'm hoping we can
2: see Black Widow in July first, and
1: yeah. So yeah, this to find clip it got the sort of right reaction that you know Oh yeah, it's still quite lighthearted and it's not too serious and it's not totally forgetting its past, but it's hopefully not going to be as heavy on that as because obviously I was that was a bit of a problem with Take the Call. Who are you going to call? The third one, which is. Just The first one again, and I think I'll keep it sort of fresh and new ish enough to not be just a remake. You'll still see, you know, Slimer and etc., and all that.
2: I haven't actually seen the reboot or whatever it is now because I, I don't really like Paul Feig films, so I didn't really bother watching it. It's all right,
1: it's a one time watch. We like, yeah, that's about as, as much as I expected this movie to be. That
2: killed a couple hours. Now, moving on, fair play. I'm looking forward to this. I love the first two Ghostbusters films for sure. Yeah, I'll see this whenever it appears, wherever it appears. So that's it for trailers. However, we're going to take a brief addendum because there was a bunch of Star Trek news released on First Contact Day, which we did a podcast about that you can listen to, and it's in the show notes, so click on that and have a listen, because it's fun. Since you don't really know anything about Star Trek, what I'm going to do is I'm going to beam Chris in for a little while so that we can talk about Star yeah. Trek, and you can take a break
1: just leave you on one of those wild west planets that they occasionally go to or whatever happens in the old ones
2: yeah you can sit on a polystyrene rock and chill out for a bit
1: yeah i'll sit on a polystyrene rock and fight the what's it called that weird the gorn is that the famous one where it's like with like dinosaur yeah the gorn i'll go fight the gorn for a bit and i'll come back
2: yeah <laughs> cool okay well what i'll do is i'll beam chris in so energizing Hello, Chris. Welcome aboard for this interlude into the Star Trek universe because Isaac couldn't care less about Star Trek. My words, not his.
0: Can't believe you have emergency beamed me in. I was just sitting on my sofa, minding my own business, having snacks, and suddenly I'm beamed into a podcast.
2: I'm using the seldom used reserve activation clause. <laughs> in layman's terms, I've drafted you. Ah. Uh. Didn't you read the fine print when you signed that contract?
0: I never read the fine print. (laughs) No one reads the fine print.
2: When did I sign a contract? I have a contract. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I waited till you were sleeping at one point, and I just kind of put a pen in your hand and waved your (laughs) hand around on a piece of paper. Just took a thumbprint. I put an X. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, can you just sign here? It's like in Only Fools and Horses when Dell's trying to get a singer to sign up for something and he just goes and the singer thinks it's an autograph and he's just signed on a contract.
0: <laughs> you know I never get asked for autographs. Yeah, sorry. I've derailed your podcast right away. Sorry. Carry on.
2: Off topic immediately. Cool. Okay. So we're here to talk about the glut, shall we say, of Star Trek news content that was released on First Contact Day, which was a little while ago now, but... This is the monthly news roundup, so we catch up at the end of the month about the previous month. bunch of unexpected stuff, I would say. On first contact day, there was a few panels that they did for fans, and they released a few teasers of upcoming stuff. So, I don't know about you, but I wasn't really expecting anything on the day itself. And then we got a load of stuff that I wasn't expecting.
0: Yeah, I was maybe expecting like a little video with a couple of clips in it, and that would be about it. You know, they would sort of go, "Here's the shows that are coming up," and. Like a quick cut of scenes or shots of people and then that would be it. Or like a little celebration yeah. video or something. But I wasn't expecting major announcements.
2: No, me either. But let's get started with the Picard teaser. So we've got a teaser for season two. There's no footage in it because they've only just started at the time they did the first contact day stuff. So it's largely a look through. It's a new room in the chateau. So it's a library by the looks of things as opposed to study. Picard has a lot of rooms, it seems. That's what we're finding out here. Maybe every season we'll get a look into a different room of the Chateau <laughs> till eventually we're in his bathroom or something, which we don't want. Yeah. I don't want to see Picard's Yeah, bathroom.
0: let's not. <laughs> <laughs> let's
2: maybe not. So the teaser is some dialogue playing over this walk around and then a deck of playing cards starts to dissolve until it shows only the Queen of Hearts. I think it's the Queen of Hearts. It's a Queen of Something and it highlights the cue. And then you hear Q's voice. So what do you think of this teaser? What do you think of Q coming back? Oh,
0: well, I think the teaser itself is pretty interesting. The little speech that Picard is giving over the top of the true final frontier is time itself. I was like, ooh, very deep. Q coming back as a major piece of a season or a series? I'm not too sure. Q, a lot of the time, is played for laughs in certain things and... As much as a lot of the time there's a serious message behind what Q's doing, a lot of the time he's played for laughs. So I'm not sure what a full season based around Q messing up with the timeline would be. You know my feelings on time travel shenanigans and how sometimes it can be really awful because it can be used as a bit of a lazy writer's thing to go, oh, you don't like this character or you don't like this thing, well, we're going to rock the boat again and mess up the timeline so that you can't argue that we're going against canon anymore because we've messed with the timeline for the umpteenth time.
2: Yeah, I don't know whether time travel will be involved I think it's just this whole maybe awareness of his mortality. Remember this isn't the real Jean-Luc Picard. Spoilers, he's an android that thinks he's the real Jean-Luc Picard. (laughs) Just remember that. Maybe Q will reference that. You're not Picard, you're just some robot that thinks he's Picard. Or maybe he'll talk to Picard in the afterlife. Uh, Like he did in Tapestry,
0: which is one of the best episodes. Or he'll click his fingers and he'll make Picard a real boy.
2: Maybe. Maybe he'll do that. You're a real boy, you have no brain abnormality. We should have done this last season, really.
0: (laughs) But we didn't. Oh, can you imagine? (laughs) As much as I was disappointed in the final episode of the last season, can you imagine if the end of that season had been Q popping up and going, click, there you go, your brain's fixed, bye! (laughs) Bye! And
2: then just disappeared out again. That would have been... Yeah, off, off you go. Oh, no. But I think you hit the nail on the head where you said that Q is often played for laughs, and he is. But my favourite interpretations of Q are the kind of malevolent teacher. Mm. He shows up and he gives a bit of a lesson in tough love, so throws the Enterprise in the path of the Borg to teach them a lesson, to teach them a lesson about arrogance and whatever else. Teach them that they're not ready for everything that's out there and they shouldn't think that they are. And Picard ends that episode by begging for help and admitting, no, we did need this kick in our complacency because we were very secure in what we were and now we're not so much." Plus, he did them a favour by giving them advance warning of the fact that they were on their way anyway. So There's that. And then there's a whole trial situation that they did throughout the show that came up now and again. And the trial never ends. Mm. We're getting that again. But on the other side of it, steeped in nostalgia, Star Trek is very steeped in nostalgia at the moment, and it's getting a bit dull because it's more about, remember that thing that you saw 20 years ago? Here it is again. But we're doing something different with it, or we're going to ruin your memory of it through this. And I think Picard's especially egregious with that. And I find myself not looking forward to season two because of the way season one ended, and seeing Q again on that basis, especially because we're getting Guinan as well. They're going to explain the connection, probably, that Q and Guinan had. And I don't need the answer to that question because I'm okay with some mysteries remaining mysteries forever. Because it's more fun to talk about them. Do we need to know why the Klingons don't have ridges anymore? No. (laughs) (laughs) Or why they suddenly have ridges in the 24th century. No, we don't. We don't need to know. They explain it perfectly in Deep Space Nine when Worf says, we don't discuss it with outsiders.
0: Yeah, exactly. Some mysteries are best left Untouched because is any answer going to be satisfactory? I don't know. I would need to do a tally chart of how many times there's been big long mysteries in TV shows or movies, and when they've come to the answer, it's been a massive disappointment, or what you've built up in your head to possibly explain it is better than what they come up with. I don't need that. I really don't need it. And the hint that it's about time or changing decisions or, you no know, it could be one of those ones where it's Q going, oh, if you could go back and not do this thing, would you do it? Oh, let's go back and see what would happen if you had done this differently and then throwing it into kind of an alternate timeline thing, maybe. It might be that it's resolved by the end of the season where it's a, oh, well, that's what could have been. Oh, you realise that that would have been a bad thing to change. Okay, well, there you go but that's what would normally be a cute episode turned into an entire season's worth of television and i'm not really for that it's almost fun for the actors and it's fun for the writers because the actors get to play an alternate version of a character they've been doing where they suddenly flip them and make them evil or depressed or they're no longer the family man they're now a man about town and they get to do that and They normally feel, oh, this is great, I feel liberated in being able to go off and do this. But for people who are fans of the original versions of the characters, it's just massively annoying. It's only because of the way that they've worded this, and it might be a massive false lead that they've put over the top of this, because they've mentioned time, they've mentioned what could have been. And like you say, they've thrown in the trial as well. It's another trial, or the trial never ends, it's picking up on where he left off. So, I don't know. It's such a short teaser... It's all it's simply said is that Q's coming back this season. There's going to be time travel involved, potentially, or alternate realities involved, potentially. I don't think we can judge it too much. I always prefer to judge what's been on screen. But considering the way they left me kind of disappointed at the end of the last season, I'm not holding my breath too much.
2: Yeah, and the thing you described there is tapestry. That's what you described. (laughs) He gets to... Make change of decision and then it plays out like in his life differently. So that's what you've
0: just described. Uh, yeah, I was trying that. to remember the name of the episode. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've described something that they've done and now they're going to try and spit it <laughs> out into an entire season's worth. Did they do one like that on Voyager as well? I can't remember. I don't think they did.
2: Voyager's had a bunch of, sort of alternate reality reset button mm. type things. So yeah, they've, they've done variations on it. There's the one where Harry Kim woke up on Earth and things like that. So yeah, they did a few of those. Over there. And Deep Space Nine had some of them to an extent. They've all done it, really, except Discovery yet. But let's get on to Discovery. Why not? Picard teaser is what it is. It's very short. Discovery teaser seems to herald another apocalyptic event that they've got to deal with. And I'm just done with it. (laughs) Every season can we have one season without an apocalypse, please? I mean, in Buffy, it was a joke that they dealt with apocalypses once or twice a year. Come at Sunnydale, you have to learn the plural of the word apocalypse, which is weird because there should only be one because it's the end of the world. But there's another thing that's threatening all life as we know it. And the only people that can stop it are the plucky Discovery crew and Michael Burnham because how did the universe manage without her? And I don't hate Discovery and I don't hate Michael Burnham. I think Discovery's good and I'll think she's a good character as well. I just don't like this everything is at stake mentality, and I want to just drink in some science fiction stories that don't involve saving the entire universe from imminent destruction.
0: Yeah, you can have a smaller scale story or smaller scale threat that's still worthy of a season's worth of television. I don't know, are we we going to go with the word apocalypse? I think apocalypse is a good thing for apocalypses. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, the multiple <laughs> apocalypse that we've had in Discovery. I mean, it seems like one of those ones that for when they decide that the Discovery is finally done, the final thing is going to be, it turns out that we need to blow up Discovery in order to stop all these apocalypses happening. <laughs> because it just keeps following the ship. Why do these things keep following the ship? Oh, it's because of the mushroom drive. Okay, well, we'll blow up the ship and it'll undo all the terrible apocalypses that we've caused. <laughs> It's something like that. Why do these things keep following them around? Why does it need to be a big... It kind of seems a bit too similar to last season, where it's something that's expanding out from a central point and causing problems. Yeah. And they did well in subverting expectations last season. It came down to a very good sort of Star Trek telling of, it's a distressed child that's causing this. It's not someone with a doomsday machine or anything like that. That was such a good explanation. And then I'm like, oh, you're doing another one? Okay, well, how are you going to explain this one? Is this one now the person with the doomsday machine? You did that last season. You're telling the same thing again. And all it will be, from the looks of this teaser anyway, it's there's a blast wave coming out the way. They'll go, well, we can't fly through the blast wave. And then someone will go, well, good news. We've got a ship that can jump into the middle and find out what's happening.
2: Or we're in three-dimensional space and don't have to go through it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we could go above it. Let's say this field is spherical in nature and expanding out. Then you can't go over the top of it, maybe. Let's... The head can. But yeah, I'm with you. I like a lot of the characters that are on this crew. I want to see them tackling different things i don't want it to be everything is on the line the whole universe is about to be wiped out storytelling i don't need them to have that threat all the time maybe this is setting off a little bit later than the season finale because it seems like they've had really bum luck if they're just moving from one apocalypse to the next (laughs) because they kind of did a little bit of that In the last season, where it was like, oh my god, first of all we had this, and then we had this, and then we had this. Then we all decided that we wanted to go to the future to try and save all of mankind. And now when we arrive here, it turns out that the whole place is turned upside down. If the next thing is that they've just solved one thing and suddenly another strikes up, I just feel really sorry for this crew. an unlucky bunch.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Crazy. And it's possible that this is just a one or two episode threat that they'll deal with Mm. and get on with the season, but we've both been watching 90s Star Trek, and I don't want to be one of those fans where new Trek is crap and old Trek is the best. I'm not one of those fans, and I believe that there's room for all, and I'm optimistic about the show, and I enjoy the show, and whatever else. It's just there are things about it that annoy me, and looking back at 90s stuff, I think we're missing those stories of ship goes to planet, (laughs) thing happens. And it's interesting. Or ship encounters Anomaly or other ship or whatever and has to deal with crisis. And those kind of stories are lost on us in Discovery. We don't really have them. You've got a bit of that at the start of season three with, let's check in on Earth and see what they're up to. We'll solve a problem while we're there. Let's check in on Trill. We'll solve a problem over there. And so on. But they move away from that pretty quickly. And the episodes still feel a bit perfunctory in a way because it's just this, well, we're here now. And we're just going to solve all this problem in like 40 minutes and it's going to tie into this big thing. And it feels like it's a stop off on our way to Mm. something else rather than being this is occupying our full attention sort of thing. Whereas if you look at an episode of Voyage or whatever, this is our problem. Our attention is entirely focused on this problem. And it's the be all and end all of our lives right now. That episodic structure is something that's missing. And they don't have 22 episodes, 25 episodes, 26 episodes, whatever it is. To give you those single standalone, if you don't watch this episode, it doesn't really impact you too much because you don't need to know anything about what happens here. So since they don't have that, I feel like it's missing something.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely with you. I do kind of miss with Discovery that kind of we are escorting a cargo ship between this planet and this planet, and en route, oh, Captain, we're getting an emergency. hail. Hey, oh, someone's in trouble. Let's go and investigate and help them out. That kind of storytelling where you get a little one-off It's a really interesting episode.
2: We're receiving a distress call. Oh, how's this related to the burn? Yeah. Does it have to be?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And by the end of the episode, I mean, if it was Discovery, it would be by the end of it, they happen to be carrying something that has a signal or a black box that tells you more about the burn. That's the way it would have ended up. Yeah. It would have ended up going. And you don't even get the kind of B plot that you used to get out of Star Trek as well. And I know some of them could be as cheesy as hell. But I do kind of miss getting to know a bit more about the characters that are on the ship. You don't get as much of that. You get little bits like Tilly doing bits of command training, maybe. Little bits of colour like that. But you don't get as many of those plots. And a lot of the time the only reason that you do get them is exactly what you say because it's going to tie into the big story later you you just don't get those character moments that are in there simply because it's going to build a little bit more onto this character it's always because it's going to come up later take notes of this advice they used to do jujitsu so when they start fighting someone later on you can be like oh okay now i know (laughs) (laughs) it's a big gap in there i like those little fun plots sometimes
2: yeah and the the Trek of old, you have the problem on the planet, maybe the problem on the ship, and never the two shall meet. Because mm. they have nothing to do with each other. Because the ship isn't in danger in orbit, so therefore, whoever is on there can get on with whatever they're getting on with. And the people on the planet are maybe in danger, maybe they're not, but they're doing their own thing. And they don't connect in any way.
0: Yeah, down on the planet, the Doctor is trying to figure out what this new disease is that's ravaging the planet. Meanwhile, in orbit, someone's trying to organise movie night, and they can't decide what to pick. (laughs) (laughs) It's that. (laughs) I do miss those silly little stories where it's like they're trying to pick a movie night, or they're trying to design the ideal holodeck programme for movie night. They're trying to build their favourite cinema from Earth, but they can't get it just right. They're having so many problems.
2: (laughs) And the uniforms have been recoloured. It was pointed out to me, I didn't really notice it in the teaser, but it was pointed out to me that they think they've changed the colours in post-production, so they're still wearing the grey ones, but they've coloured it in red or whatever. Someone said that it looked awkward to them, but to me, it looks fine. I'm not jazzed about the uniform style in general, but I do like that they're the full department colours. Yeah. TNG department colours, the red, the gold.
0: Yeah, do you know what? I didn't even notice that. I'm not eagle eyed enough. <laughs> I should have paid a bit more attention, yeah. but yeah, maybe it is. You noticed they were a different colour. I right? noticed so they were a different colour. I did notice they were a different colour. The colour grading didn't really jar me that much, but maybe I've just not paid enough attention to that. But I did notice that they were doing department colours again.
2: The person that told me is in that kind of digital fixing field, so they would have mm. probably been more disposed to notice it than the likes of you and me. That. Don't really notice these things, but it's something to observe. They've gone more colourful, so again, they're trying to harken back to the yesteryears of Trek, and it's all this stuff about Burnham being a captain and whatever, so we'll get into all that once we see the show, I guess. Obviously, I'll watch it. It's interesting. It's Star Trek. I'm going to watch it. You haven't caught my attention in the way that you wanted to with this. Oh, there's another huge galactic threat, because I'm sick of huge galactic threats. So... Give me something else, Discovery. Come on. It's been four years. <laughs> Give me something else. I'm hoping
0: it might be a misdirect. Maybe they're doing a misdirect, but I don't think they would do that. I think it's too similar to the Picard thing where it's being very obvious they're lining up time and alternate things. I think this, again, is they're going, yep, yeah,
2: we're doing this again. Tough. Yeah, is <laughs> the end of the universe again. Settle in. Hey, <laughs> okay, let's move on to, speaking of nostalgia, Lower Decks. The arguably most nostalgic of the TV shows because it is... It's it's poking fun at 90s Star Trek, but in a really affectionate way where we all line up to accept it because, yeah, it's like that and we find it funny. It's 40 seconds, so there's not a lot to say about it. Boimler's still on the Titan. Riker is giving orders in the middle of a crisis situation by using jazz metaphors and Boimler has no idea what he's talking about. I thought that was great. That was superb. (laughs)
0: It just looks tons of fun. I enjoyed that first season more than I thought I would. I had little reservations at the beginning about Mariner. Mariner kind of annoyed me in the first few episodes, and then I got into it and really, really enjoyed it. My favourite was Rutherford, though. Rutherford's my fave. Sorry, I've picked my favourite. It's Rutherford.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I like Rutherford. I like all of them. I don't know, I think Tendi's my favourite. I think she's yeah, um, a really fun character.
0: Definitely. But the, yeah, they were a fun combo when they were both on screen as well, actually. But yep, I had to go with Rutherford.
2: wonder how long it'll be before Boimler gets off the Titan. Or maybe Riker's just in the whole season. I'd, I'd be into that. I always like to hear Freaks.
0: <laughs> I don't think they'll keep them separated from the rest of the crew too long. So they're either going to need to be on some form of joint assignment, maybe where the two ships are going off doing something, or Boiler's going to have to ask to go back to his original ship.
2: It's a bit parody Riker, though, isn't it, in a way, because you wouldn't imagine serious Riker would be trotting (laughs) out jazz metaphors as orders to confuse the younger officers under his command. But it fits into the tone of Lower Decks, and it's a wonderful show. It's a wonderful send up of ninety star trek in a way that we all appreciate
0: yeah i know they've said that lower decks counts as canon but i just count it as fun i enjoy watching it i can't over analyze it into the rest of lore and how the characters would really behave because uh, i don't think it's meant to be taken that way i really don't i just enjoy it for what it is
2: well since i co-host a podcast on the we made this network about the show i do have to do it. <laughs> so that's apologies a burden in a way <laughs> but no i get what you mean <laughs> It's 20 minutes, you enjoy it, and then you put it away, and that's it. And it, yeah, It's designed, I think, to be a bit like that. But there is depth there if you're looking for it as well. Oh,
0: definitely. Definitely. And I think that's a strong point to it. I think the character dynamics and things actually work in amongst the fun, and that's mm-hmm. what makes it so good. If it was just ridiculous gags after gags after gags, then I probably wouldn't enjoy it as much, even with the fact that they're able to play about with, star trek characters and an ip i still wouldn't find it as enjoyable if they weren't putting a bit of that heart into it yeah
2: for sure next up is the other animated star trek thing we're getting star trek prodigy which is a bunch of aliens it's an all alien cast because it's animated why the hell not they find a ship in the delta quadrant that has a command training hologram that is modeled after none other than captain janeway kate mulgrew will be kind of reprising her role as this holographic Janeway, and I was curious to see what Kate Mulgrew's role would be, what Janeway's role would be in this show, after so long being out of the character and stuff like that. And the command training hologram is an interesting approach, because it does mean they can lean into the more comedic elements of her character, the fact that she's a bit nuts, she's a bit gung-ho, she's a bit over the top, whatever. They can lean into all that without damaging, in inverted commas, the version that we've all come to know i think the writing on voyager damaged her quite sufficiently (laughs) in some cases but it's an opportunity for kate mulgrew to have a lot of fun with the role i think she seems quite excited about it based on the panel that they showed on first contact day we haven't seen any teaser for it yet but we've seen the picture and it's season one era jane way with the bun haircut and stuff like that so yeah I'm really looking forward to seeing what this will be. And I imagine since it's a kid's show, it's going to be these kids learn lessons about Starfleet values every week. And the audience watching will be encouraged to learn them too because they're young kids, the default audience. And Kate Mulgrew pointed out it was important to her that we don't talk down to the audience. We just talk to them and help them learn and things. So I'm quite excited to see what form this will take and how it'll look.
0: The imagery that we've seen from it so far, the characters, it looks a lot of fun. I'm glad for Kate Mulgrew to be back in something Star Trek. And like you say, they can try and make it sort of hyper-realized. It's a hologram, so they can play about and have a bit of fun with it. And I think they will. Yeah, It would seem very jarring if it was a very serious Janeway training hologram <laughs> in the middle of this.
2: She'll be serious at times, I would imagine. But yeah, I think it's going to be pretty cool. Can't wait to see i don't know when it's due to happen but no lord dex is coming on in august and then that'll probably lead into discovery and then picard and then maybe prodigy after that i don't know or maybe the next thing that we're going to talk about strange new worlds we've got an announcement wasn't on first contact day it was before and it was the actors doing the space the final frontier speech and just announcing that they were on production they were looking forward to it so not a lot to go on but i thought i'd mention it anyway
0: No, it's true. I don't think they've said exactly which characters any of the new announced actors are playing, apart from the ones that we already know. Presumably just new ones. Yeah, new ones that they've pulled in. It seems like a good cast, looking at the list. They're from decent shows, so I could have a bit of faith in what they're doing. I saw that there was a few articles saying that they're saying that it's maybe going to be closer to what we talked about for Discovery, where potentially it's going to be a bit more episodic which I'm definitely yeah. here for, but they've promised that kind of thing before and maybe not delivered. So
2: we'll see. Yeah. Manage your expectations. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've
0: got a lot, a lot of hope i of building this up so much in my head, the show, because we saw them at, is it Destination Star Trek? It was called in Birmingham. Is it Destination Star yeah. Trek? Yeah. Yeah. That's so, you know, we saw like Anton Mount and that there and Ethan Peck and they were so good when they were chatting to the audience. They waxed lyrical about their experience in Star Trek and what they would hope if they got at that point a series because it wasn't announced at that point. And I sat in that audience going, I want you to get a show. I want to commission your show. <laughs> <laughs> Take my money now. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you, you know, you have my trust. Give
2: us more nostalgia. I want to see the Enterprise. Exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Give us the nostalgia. Give us that show. And maybe this is going to fill that bracket. I'm totally up for this show. So let's see what happens. Yeah. And they've not said anything at the moment that's put me off. Until you actually see it, until you get to the very end of the series, you can't judge it. I know that's kind of not our job on this particular podcast but it's difficult to judge at this point (laughs) yeah
2: sure yeah but amped for it for sure but speaking of managing expectations Mm -hmm. paramount announced that they're going to be releasing a new star trek movie in june 2023 that may or may not be related to the Kalinda vasquez one that we discussed well me and cat discussed last month may or may not be The Noah Holly project that may or may not be happening. There's been about six things they've announced for Star Trek, and I'm at the point when they announce a release date, I'm like, "Eh, is this really going to happen? Probably not. I'm not going to get too amped about this yet because... It's probably going to get pushed back. It's going to get cancelled. Someone will move on. Someone will get fired. They'll find out someone's a deviant and they can't work with them anymore. Any number of things will get in the way of this. I'm (laughs) sure of it. And it just seems like they keep taking us for a ride on the movie side of things. And I'm kind of a bit sick of it, to be honest. So until you've got some concrete information... I'm not going to get too excited about the fact that they're bringing out another movie. I'm kind of okay with all the TV stuff. They're
0: doing so well on the TV stuff. As much as I've got complaints about some of the shows and and bits that I don't like, they have done so well recently with the TV content that I'm kind of like, oh, don't throw all the money into a movie because then they'll turn around and say, oh, well, Trek doesn't work. and Then they start cancelling the TV stuff on the back of the movie not doing well. It's that kind of thing where they tar it all at that point. I would be up for another movie. I mean, obviously, at this point, they've worked on it for quite a while because there's so many different ones that keep getting rumoured. And all the rumours can't be false, but there must be some truth in at least half of the things that we're hearing. So I don't know what to expect. The original plan for them to do a uh, sequel had two of the movie Chrissies in it, because it was going to be Hemsworth and Pine, wasn't it? And then the rumour was one wanted more than the other, then the other wanted more than the other, and then the whole thing collapsed and they went, oh, we just won't do it. That was one of the many rumours about the collapse of that particular project.
2: You're undervaluing these Hollywood elements, yeah. essentially. So, yeah, we're not doing it.
0: Maybe they have come to some sort of agreement now. Maybe there's no movie Chrissy's in this, <laughs> this
2: one. They've went, you know what? It's
0: easier we it don't do it. Be,
2: yeah. Could be something new. We don't know. It's nothing. It's just a date that probably won't happen. That's
1: all it is.
0: Yeah. And I get why they announce these kind of things because it's good for investor details and everything like that to go, we are planning to make something. And then the investors go, ooh, we might get money back from that. Even if they know in their heart of hearts that 2025 is the realistic date for this project or they're going to restart from the scratch. I just want them to tell a good one-off story. I don't even necessarily need for it to be a follow-up to the Chris Pine Trek. I don't need it to be a follow-up to that. It can just be a good standalone Starfleet-based movie. I'd be absolutely fine with yeah, I'd love with that. to see
2: that cast again, actually. I would like to see the cast because I think it was a good
0: cast, but if they're too tied to story or they can't get the actual cast back due to whatever logistics they've got going on or whatever negotiations are taking place, I'd happily sit through a random crew that we've maybe not seen before in that universe doing something interesting yeah. without being too tied up in the lore of the Enterprise or crew members of the Enterprise where they can't manoeuvre anything because they're like, oh, well, we can't do this because that'll contradict this and we can't do that because it'll contradict that. Maybe they could go off and just tell a story about a ship doing a thing, <laughs> going boldly.
2: It's selling it to an audience without that iconography though, isn't it? That's the hard part. Yeah. Do you want to see Star Trek without Captain Kirk? Not really. Well, some people might say. Not me, but some people. Some people like Isaac, who is not on this part of the podcast, for example.
0: Yeah, where did you dematerialize Isaac to? He's
2: just in stasis, or a phaser dome or someone I don't
0: know. (laughs) Phaser dome. I hope
2: it was stun. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, so too. (laughs) I didn't look. (laughs) So, to sum up, movie announcement is nothing. So, yeah. So, before I let you go and beam you back to your sofa, the last thing that Isaac will have no opinion on that I would throw in. is not Star Trek related. Dominic Purcell is leaving Legends of Tomorrow or DC's Legends of Tomorrow and isn't coming back, which is what leaving means. So I don't really need to say that. But he announced it in a post on Instagram, which I don't have, so I'm, I have a screenshot of it, that was found on a website. And he posted a picture of himself holding a bottle of Stella looking a bit less trim than he usually does. <laughs> yeah, I'm a fan of, I guess. <laughs> The post, I'm not going to read it entirely because there's a lot of swearing in it, but he says, deal isn't done. I have no interest. Whatever cash they throw on the corporate level, I'm walking away from CW underscore Legends of Tomorrow. It's been a total pleasure and a humbling experience bringing DC Comics iconic character Heatwave, aka McRory, to life. I smashed this character. Not an actor in the world could have done better. Fact. Such a funny C word. And then three like rolling... laughing things i don't do smiley face emoji things i don't know what it actually is called but three of those he's being funny he's not being serious guys on that one he doesn't think that another actor couldn't have done better but he says time to move on and see how s unfolds stuff unfolds katie lotts nick Zeno, look after the kids coming through they need education they are a number. Teach them not to rely on loyalty from the studio. The studio does not care. The actor's work ethic and talent must give them the confidence to question authority. Much love to all. It's not lost on me how very fortunate I am. Actors hit me up on DM. And he sort of recanted some of it a couple of days later. Not by denying that he meant what he said, but more chill out, guys. I'm just leaving the show, whatever. Mm. I don't care. Just don't get so worked up. So he's leaving, which is a bit of a shame because he's one of the funnier characters in it, but it just seems like the revolving door is getting to him. And the whole studio don't care thing is interesting because obviously we'll never know the the behind-the-scenes stuff on a lot of these shows and what goes on, but we do know that Brandon Routh was kicked off the show against his will.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, obviously we're never going to know exactly what's going on behind the scenes on these shows, but this is, like you say, the second person who's kind of put out a bit of a statement going I am not happy with the fact that I'm leaving or the, the fact that I've been bumped from this show he actually put out a second statement. He deleted the original statement that was full of swear words. Yeah. He did a retracted version without the swear words, which was a lot more <laughs> about the experience of the cast and having a great time doing the show. And then he deleted that statement and then just put up the one <laughs> going, I don't know what everyone's getting so concerned about. I've got to say, if I'm sending out a pet when I finally leave my job, Maybe that's a similar picture that I can recreate. Me sitting at my desk, big <laughs> bottle of beer, belly out. <laughs> I think work. He's given us leaving goals, if anything.
2: All the food they ate on the show clearly caught up. <popular. laughs> Definitely. All that food was real. He, he enjoyed it. Not body shaming him. I'm impressed. Got the big guy some love. Yeah. Just literally. Fair play to him. On a CW show, no less. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, he's there for the rest of us humans who can never aspire to yeah. be a lead in a CW show. I really enjoyed Mick is a character and it seems a shame to have another one of the original characters gone. You sort of go, oh, it's all breaking apart. But we always talk on this podcast about the need for concise storytelling or decent story and again, you sit and you look and you go, well, what else can they do with Mick? What can they play on? He's had a lot of great storylines through the show sort of reconnecting with his family, going back into his past and what led him down the path that he was on and becoming an author yeah becoming an author and, and then embracing the fact that he was that author after hiding it for so long he then embraces it yeah. you do so many things with that character and then you go right what naturally do you do next if you're the writer and you're sitting in the writing room and you've got this revolving door so far and he's still there what do you do with him this season what do you do with him next season because what they're really looking at is what do we do with this character in the next season oh oh uh, we don't really have a story for him oh well we'll we'll scrape something together Maybe that's not the service that you want for a character.
2: The difference is he wanted to leave. It's his decision. So it seems like they would have kept him. Mm. And they're trying to keep him, maybe. But in the case of Brandon Routh, they were like, nah, take your missies and get out. <laughs> and that was it. Whereas in this case, it seems that yeah, he's up for just packing it in himself for whatever reason. Which is, yeah, fine by him. That's up to him. I get the impression he's maybe had a bit of a bad experience, but I don't know. Maybe he's just being funny.
0: Yeah, it could be. Is it a negotiation tactic? You announce that you're going. Fans outpour, going, "Oh, you shouldn't go." It's ridiculous the way they're treating you. Oh, right, fine, I'll stay for another season. Give me more money.
2: <laughs> I don't know. Don't know. Doesn't seem like it, but I don't know. I, I don't work on the show. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we don't know, ultimately. I think it's a shame that he's not going to be on the show anymore, because I do like the character, but if there's nothing there for it, I don't know what else they can do with him. That's the thing. I don't like seeing characters just floating about for the sake of it. I want them to actually have a bit of story. I I want to get a bit of background into them, because sometimes it's nice to have the comfort blanket characters there, where you go, oh, I know how they're going to react to this, and he's fun on screen. That's the whole thing about Legends, is it's a lot of fun to watch, because of how Mm -hmm. he acts as a foil a lot of the time to the other characters he's more of a sod it that'll do kind of character rather than we've got to get everything perfect so yeah that voice will be lost
2: yeah and by the time you listen to this podcast legends will be out it will have returned it returns on the 3rd of may or 2nd of may on the cw so it'll be back and reviews will be on the website, of course because i've reviewed every other episode of it so that's still going to be happening well, there we go. That's has made it way through the short addendum list of stuff that Isaac has no interest in. <laughs> so I can beam you back to your sofa and then we can go back to the other stuff that Isaac has no interest in. So thanks for showing up for this small, not so small interlude. Much appreciated.
0: Thanks very much for having me.
2: Okay, thanks Chris for putting up with the fact that I just beamed you off your sofa without you expecting it and made you talk about Star Trek. That's what the contract is. One day you'll just be plucked out of the ether just to talk about Fast and Furious or something like that. You won't have any choice at the matter. Yep. Yeah, so let's go over to the Marvel Universe. I was going to say Cinematic Universe, but one of the entries has nothing to do with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, so it's slightly inaccurate. Let's start with Secret Invasion. We have a couple of bits of casting news, one of which is Amelia Clark has joined Secret Invasion. The Game of Thrones headliner's role is naturally under wraps and marks her first foray into the Marvel Universe. This is the section of the podcast where I just read variety to you and they ask you to come up with an opinion. That's what I do. She joins previously announced... Reported cast, Samuel L. Jackson, Ben Mendelsohn, Kingsley ben Adir, and Olivia Coleman, And that was the other bit, I'd read the wrong article first. Marvel Studios declined to comment on the matter. Reps for Clark did not immediately comment on the matter. Secret Evasion was announced as a development property last year, one of Marvel's many planned titles for Disney+. Plus. Jackson's reprising his role of Nick Fury, while Mendelsohn will play the Skrull Talos, as he did in the feature film Captain Marvel. The series is said to follow a group of shape-shifting aliens who have been infiltrating Earth for years. Ben Adir has been set as the main villain. Kyle Bradsheet is attached to write and is executive produce. Kevin Feige's unit is producing the series for the streamer, as it does all other MCU titles, including the hits WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier. There's no information on really what this is. I'm sure we both know what the comic arc is, but it won't be that. It won't be Avengers getting infiltrated and replaced by Skrulls. That's not what this story is going to be.
1: I have very limited knowledge of Secret invasion. <laughs> well, like you said, it's shapeshift in scrolls invade and you, you, who's a scroll, who's not a scroll. Yeah. That's like as far as my knowledge for this goes. But I'm not sure if there's any sort of characters that need introducing. I don't know if there's a Nova or a Spider Woman or something central to that story that they would need to sort of bring in to at least get the flavour of the original.
2: Yeah, well Spider Woman was the first revealed scroll in the comics. And I think we watched the cartoon. The Avengers: Earth's is Heroes cartoon, which did Secret Invasion, and they went along those lines. I've definitely seen it. I don't know if you have.
1: We might have. I can't remember. <laughs> you yeah. saw a few of those. Yeah. So I remember Captain America turning into a, a scroll. Yeah, that's that show. That's what I'm talking about.
2: We don't know much about it yet. We know that Amelia Clark and Olivia Coleman are in it in undisclosed roles. We know that it'll be about scrolls infiltrating Earth in some way. That's about it. Yep. That's enough at the moment, I suppose.
1: That's all we've got (laughs) to go on, so yeah, there's nothing more to talk about that one yet.
2: Amelia Clarke's really solidifying herself in Disney, isn't she? She's in a few things.
1: Yeah, she was Kira Okora in Han Solo. It's the Game of Thrones people sort of moving away from that, but not fading away entirely.
2: Yeah. Finding their next big franchise to glom onto.
1: Exactly. And Olivia Coleman. I think she's just getting more and more popular, so that's always a good catch.
2: Yeah, they're really being serious with their casting gets for these things. They're not messing around. Up next, there is a Captain America 4 in development, but with a twist. Malcolm Spellman is picking up Captain America's shield once again. The head writer and creator of Disney Plus and Marvel's The Falcon and the Winter Soldier is developing a fourth installment of the Captain America film franchise for Marvel Studios. Spellman will co-write the script with Dallin Musson, a staff writer on The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. No castings for the project are officially known, but you can assume Anthony Mackie and probably Sebastian Stan. <laughs> but Friday's episode offers plenty of roads for the feature to take. The feature is likely to continue the story of Sam Wilson and current wielder of the S.H.I.E.L.D., but as the writers get to work, it will be interesting to see how the story unfolds with being now multiple people who have been Captain America's in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So that's quite interesting that they went for a film instead of a second season.
1: Yeah, there was an awful lot of unpicked-up threads at the end of Falcon and Winter Soldier. So when they announced this film, I was kind of like, yeah, I'll see. I don't know if we're not really doing spoilers for it, I guess.
2: Well, I just read in the article that he picks up the shield. So, yeah, sorry if you haven't seen it.
1: Yeah, I was going to say more like, for example, Power Broker and...
2: We won't see who the Power Broker is, but yeah, they'll pick up that thread most likely.
1: And um, what's he called? Not Captain America guy. John Walker. John Walker. There's stuff there where it's like, this can't be how this ends. Yeah. So, yeah, I think they announced it pretty much on the same day. I think it was, was it on the Friday or was it like just... Yeah, it was the just weekend? the same
2: day, yeah, I think.
1: Yeah, so it was, oh, yeah, well, we'll cover this. So, yeah, I think it's safe to assume this is instead of a Series 2.
2: Yeah. It's just
1: be a weird movie, which,
2: yeah, great. One thing stood out to me about it, so you've got this situation where they're making a film that might star Anthony Mackie as Captain America, as we've established, and it's... Probably one of those things where you're okay if you've missed the series, but you decide to watch the film because if you just watch Endgame, you'll see Steve giving him the shield, and then you can just assume yeah, he becomes Captain America after that. Whereas if you watch the mm, series, yeah. you see how that happens, but if you decide not to watch the series as such, then you can just assume that yeah, at some point he, he takes on this role and that's him.
1: Yeah, I think some of these shows are going to like for example Wandering Doctor Strange Will be way more harder to initially follow than if you haven't watched One Division, but in this case, there might be a few extra characters that you are a bit confused by. But yeah, he gets given the shield in Endgame, and then he's going to be Captain America. This series can pass you by; you'll understand where at least he is at.
2: Yeah, you'll be able to follow it. Cool. So that's all there is to say about that. I'm looking forward to it. All Marvel stuff. Looking forward to. It. Up next, Alfred Molina broke some silence about his return as Doc Ock. Alfred Molina was invited to reprise his role as the villainous Otto Octavius in No Way Home, the forthcoming third instalment of the Marvel Cinematic Universe Spider-Man movies, led by Tom Holland, of course. He was told to keep it quiet. He said, When we were shooting it, we were all under orders not to talk about it, because it was supposed to be some great big secret, Molina said with a laugh during an interview with Variety about his role in the Oscar-nominated Promising Young Woman, which I still haven't seen. But you know, it's all over the internet. I actually describe myself as the worst kept secret in Hollywood. Instead, not only did Molina confirm his involvement, he happily detailed his experience making the movie and returning to a part he first played in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2. It was wonderful, he said. It was very interesting going back after 17 years to play the same role, given that in the intervening years I now have two chins, a wattle, crow's feet and a slightly dodgy lower back. When the actor asked John Watts, the director of No Way Home, how the movie would bring Doc Ock back, since he pointed out, I died, Molina said the director told him, in this universe no one really dies. In Spider-Man 2, Molina played Octavius, who was poised to be a mentor to Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker when a lab accident turns him into the murderous Dr. Octopus. Or Doc Ock, for short. We all know this. So in their early conversations, Molina said, Watts told him the movie would pick up Doc Ock's story from that moment in the river, which in a franchise that includes multiverses, time travel and diverging timelines, seems plausible enough. Molina's concerns were more practical. He said that he asked Watts how they were going to deal with the fact that at 67 he's aged since 2004 film. He just looked at me and said, did you see what we did to Bob Downey Jr. and Sam Jackson? Molina said with a laugh in 2016's Captain America Civil War. Marvel Studios used CGI to de-age Robert Downey Jr. to look as he did in 1991. And in Captain Marvel, also set in the 1990s, a de-aged Samuel L. Jackson played a younger version of his character, Nick Fuey. Molina also cited Martin Scorsese's The Irishman as an example of digital de-aging and its limitations. They made Robert De Niro's face younger, but when he was fighting, he looked like an older guy, Molina said. He looked like an old guy. That's what worried me about doing it again. I don't have the same physicality I had 17 years ago. That's just a fact. Molina realised, though, that the nature of the role would save him. I then remembered that it's the tentacles that do all the work. He sat up straight in his seat. My basic physical move is Doc Ock, as the actor is just this. He said as he glared intensely at the zoom camera and made a menacing noise. I just do that a lot, and the arms are doing it all. Doing all the killing and smashing and breaking. I'm just going, he glared again, with a kind of mean look on my face. It was fantastic. So that's a really great interview, but I'm also very suspicious of it.
1: The more I hear about the movie, the more I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> want this movie to happen. But I don't want a best of. It's boring. Definitely getting him. We're definitely getting Electro. We're probably getting other ones. It's less fun than doing a new version to be like, oh yeah, here's that one from that movie. And obviously these are beloved, especially... Some Raimi, Spider-Man movies, but I don't really care. If I'm honest. They're fine, but this is a big concern I have about multiverses. I don't want it just to be like, look, here's the X-Men, and oh, you know, here's Magneto's thingy, and he's just here because we've pulled him out of Dimension or something. It's just really boring because I like speculation. i like, how is this Peter Parker going to... Is he going to meet the Green Goblin? Is he going to be part of that? I don't want it to be like, oh, we just pulled Willem Dafoe, and <laughs> now you've got Willem Dafoe again. That's the worst option. And I just feel lazy. This whole movie is sliding towards, this is going to be the lazy one. <laughs> Where they're just like, oh, oh here's... we will be surprised if they got Willem Dafoe. I would be surprised if they got... There's no one else in... Maybe the Rhino from Amazing Spider-Man.
2: <laughs> yeah, everybody wants to see him again.
1: Yeah, because they're getting electro... They might give them slightly new costumes, but really, it's the least interesting way of doing a superhero movie.
2: I understand what you're saying. I think I'm quite excited to see Alfred Molina again. But the thing that makes me suspicious about that interview is they've been so tight lipped about everything for so long. And then there's just this revealing interview where he tells you everything that you think you
1: wanted to hear. Yeah, it would be fun if that is a misdirect. scripted accident or a misdirect. Yeah.
2: Turns out he's not playing Doctor Octopus at all. He's playing someone else. <laughs>
1: Yeah, or the superior Spider-Man thing, and he's playing, was it the... uh, The Tobey Maguire
2: Spider-Man. Yeah, that'd be so cool.
1: Yeah, he's playing a 67-year-old Spider-Man with (laughs) Doc Ock legs. (laughs) That would be fun. I'd rather that, but...
2: I do enjoy how candid Alfred Molina is, though, where he talked about, yeah, in The Irishman, I wasn't convinced, and I can't see how they'll be convinced by me. I like how he was just, I can't see how they're going to get away with this.
1: Yeah, I like when actors get to a certain point where they don't care about spoiling stuff or rocking the boat. Rocking the boat. I think my favourite example is Ian McShane ruined or spoilt something in Game of Thrones about his character. And it's like, it's just dragons and fights and nudity. Like, who cares? <laughs> You're not watching this for the story. Don't get so upset. <laughs> I enjoy when a, an actor gets to its age where it's like, we're not scared about going away from what the big Disney or whoever are after. Like, I'm happy just to have a big anecdote and just chat away.
2: Yeah, fun interview. I'm looking forward to seeing if it's true or not. Doc Ock, back again. I would quite like to see a new version of Doc Ock. And that could still happen, to be fair. If it's multiverse stuff, we can still get a new one later on.
1: Yeah. I'm nervous about this, because the last two have been very good Spider-Man movies. I don't know, I don't want them to get lazy. Yeah, fair play.
2: Okay, next up, we now know who Russell Crowe is playing in Thor, Love and Thunder. He is playing Zeus, which means they're bringing in different pantheons of gods, which they do in the comics anyway. Thor hangs around with Hercules and so on, doesn't he? Very often, so... Yes. Interesting, yeah. So he was on a radio show in Australia, and he said, the quote is, I'm going to get on my bicycle, I'm going to ride up to Disney Fox Studios, and around about 9.15, I shall be Zeus. It's for Thor. It's my last day of Zeusing about, and I'm going to enjoy it. Yeah, cool. I'll be interested to see how that feeds in.
1: I guess he won't be doing much Zeusing about. I don't know. I don't think he's going to be a Grandmaster level of character. Actually, maybe Grandmaster wasn't in that one that much.
2: No, he wasn't.
1: I'm sure maybe that might be a good example. I think he might be like that level of something. He's there for the fun. You know, he's a well-known actor and they can have a bit of fun with his character as this big authority figure that they can just sort of make fun of. Taekwotiki, it's going to be another light-hearted Thor movie and Zeus is a great character to make fun of because there is a lot of dodgy stuff about that character.
2: Yeah, and they could introduce that pantheon of gods if they wanted, I suppose, use that as an end to that.
1: yeah. But there is also a lot going on in that movie. I know the villain is Gore, the God Butcher. It's hmm. Christian Bale. And this could be a good example of this guy is a God Butcher. He's fought a few of the Greek gods. He's fought a few of the Roman gods. He's working his way to the Norse. Because otherwise they have also Jane Foster and they have the Guardians and they have Valkyrie as the new king of Thingy. So there's a lot going on in this movie. It can only be so stuffed to a point. So I think it'll be a, a sort of fun side plot, but I don't think he's going to be a major player in the movie. Maybe
2: he's just in one scene as Christian Bale murders him.
1: Maybe. I don't think Russell Crowe would allow that. I don't know. Maybe he would. I don't think he'd be up for like a cameo getting murdered, but I think he'd be up for a cameo doing a big fight.
2: Never throws lightning bolts, he just punches people. Yeah. That's all he does. Just like when he was jor just wailing on people. That's what he does.
1: Yeah, a little bit of jor fighting. Cool. So that's
2: all there is on that. Looking forward to that. It'll be interesting to see what he does. So... Next up, we have a rumour, but I like this rumour. The rumour is that the Netflix Marvel heroes might be joining the Marvel Cinematic Universe, or some of them at least. This is on movie web. It's all conjecture. It's not really officially confirmed by anyone. But with the rights to the likes of Daredevil, The Punisher, and Jessica Jones, as well as other figures of the MCU Netflix shows having reverted to Marvel Studios, fans have been waiting patiently to find out whether we'll ever see them again. Well, A new rumour claims that we will indeed see some of them join the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but there's a catch. We've already had it with Daredevil. We've had a lot of rumours about that. While the likes of Charlie Cox's Man Without Fear and John Bernthal's Frank Castle will return with the respective actors reprising their roles, they will not be playing the same versions of the characters as seen on Netflix, instead be playing rebooted versions newly introduced to the MCU. I reckon it'll be a soft reboot and they'll mention stuff that they did maybe in the shows. I don't know.
1: This is another one where it's a bit, boy, you cried wolf. (laughs) Because <laughs> it wasn't like Daredevil supposed to be in Spider-Man Daredevil and Spider-Man, yeah. and then they're like, oh yeah, they might be in Infinity War and stuff.
2: Yeah,
1: I believe it when I see it, but this comes yeah. up so often. Maybe they're going to have like it. I was like, yeah, maybe, but probably not. <laughs> I'm not going to put too much into these because it's happened a lot. I think down the line, it'd be weird not to use those characters, especially Jessica Jones or the guy who played Daredevil. Charlie Cox is Daredevil or Vincent D'Onofio as Kingpin because they were really good. It's less energy and it's more goodwill to just get them back. But yeah. until he actually announced something, I'm like, I don't know. This rumour comes up so much. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, well... It does say, according to sources, some more reliable than others, it stresses. Marvel Studios are looking to bring back Charlie Cox as Matt Murdock slash Daredevil, John Bernthal as The Punisher, Kristen Ritter as Jessica Jones, and Vincent D'Onofrio as Wilson Fisk slash The Kingpin. Fellow Netflix characters Luke Cage and Iron Fist, however, will reportedly be recast. That's a bit weird, but whatever.
1: Yeah, I'm not going to put too much into this. <laughs> we'll see what happens.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I hope so, though, because I do like those actors in those roles.
1: it'd be really good to bring them back. I'd love to see them again. I'd love to see Bullseye. I mean, that was the best Bullseye.
2: <laughs> Thrown around staplers and stuff.
1: Yeah, obviously they were building towards that, and that'd be a really fun thing to pay off, even if it's yeah. just for like a cold open fight. But I won't believe anything until Disney tweets it.
2: Fair do. Yeah. Okay, so next up, it's not really Marvel Cinematic Universe, but it is Marvel. A new directing team has joined the Spider-Verse. Joaquin Dos Santos, I've butchered up pronunciation, Kemp Powers and Justin K. Thompson have been tapped to by Sony Pictures Animation to direct the sequel to the Oscar-winning animated feature Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Although Dos Santos' directing role had been previously reported, the trio have been working together on the project from the start. Phil Lord, Chris Miller, Amy Pascal, Avey Arad, and Christina Steinberg are all returning to produce the project. And so on. So that's it. We've got a director for it, or directors for it. I loved Spider-Verse. Yeah, Scarlett is
1: great. Fine, I don't know what this means. I don't know when it comes to directors of an animated thingy, because obviously, I know the talks a lot about this animation is going to be even more pushing the boundaries of what they can do than the previous one, which is great. Yeah, great. Every bit of news about this sequel is good. Yeah. So yeah, I'm excited to see that one.
2: Yeah, let's jump over to the DC universe then. So Lucy Liu is officially a god. The elementary and why women kill actor has joined the DC Comics adaptation Shazam Fury of the Gods as the villain Calypso, the sister of Helen Mirren's villainous character, Hespera. Along with Lou and Mirren, the core filmmaking team from 2019 Shazam is returning for the sequel, including Zachary Levi as the eponymous superhero Shazam and Asher Angel as the teenage alter ego Billy Batson. David F. Sandberg is returning to direct from a screenplay by Henry Gaden. Like Mirren's character, Hespera, Lulu's Calypso does not have an obvious counterpart in DC Comics. Both characters, however, are the daughters of the Greek god Atlas, who is one of the sources of Shazam's powers. Yeah, cool. I liked Shazam, and this is a good cast.
1: I never saw Shazam. Everyone told me to watch Shazam, but it's one of those sort of counter-obtrusive things where the more people said, oh, yeah, it's really good should watch it. I'm like, I don't want to, now. And <laughs> it's the same sort of effect, but well, this is a really good cast of two great villains who are going to have a lot of sort of bounce off each other. Yeah. I'm like, great, I probably still want not it <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough
2: Okay, next, more DC news It's official, Michael Keaton, who played the Dark Knight In Tim Burton's era of Batman movies Will return to Don the Cape and off again In the upcoming Flash movie, so it's official now
1: That's it Yeah, kind of similar to the Spider-Man thing I know there's lots of call for Ben Affleck To reprise the role, I'm like, we want to see more Ben Affleck We want to see more of this We're getting a good looking Robert Pattinson Batman <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, when well, no, there's going to be also this Batman and this Batman. It's like, I know people like Batman, but it's another thing where I'm not interested. I've seen them. I don't think it's like a pivotal thing. It would maybe be fun. I know there was lots of talk of the guy who played Thomas Wayne being the Flashpoint Batman. I can't remember the actor's name now.
2: Jeffrey Dean Morgan.
1: Yeah, that's right, yeah. As opposed to like the Michael Keaton one. It's another thing where it's like going to get people interested about this Flash movie that no one cares about. <laughs> he was like, oh, Michael Keatman's Batman again featuring the Flash secretly a Flash movie don't tell anyone
2: yeah so that's it he's coming back which we all kind of knew anyway but it's been confirmed now
1: yeah yeah
2: cool so that's it for DC News we're going to move on to the CW only got one thing but we seem to have a monthly update on this one where it's the Powerpuff Girls pilot that they're filming for those of you that don't know the series stars Chloe Bennett as Blossom Dove Cameron as Bubbles and Yana Peralt as Buttercup and this is the other bit of news, I opened the wrong article first again, but Donald Faison, who was Turkin Scrubs, will be the professor as well. And apparently, someone called Nicholas Podani will play the show's version of villain Mojo Jojo, named Joseph Mondell Jr. And Robin Lively will play Sarah Bellum, whoever that is. The series simply titled Powerpuff was first announced at being developed back in August. Based on the Cartoon Network series, the new series sees the pint-sized superheroes as disillusioned 20-somethings who resent having lost their childhood to crime-fighting. I'm really liking the look of this. The first look that we've seen, including the set photos as well, they look really good in those roles. I'm um, a sucker for a CW show like this, and I can't wait to see it.
1: This is one where I have not seen any of the original cartoon, All right, okay. I have no idea if people are upset or excited. What's the vibe? Are people happy about this?
2: I don't know. I just know that I'm happy about this.
1: Yeah, it's very difficult to... Okay, these people are playing these characters. I'm like, okay, that's cool. But... I don't really know much about it, unfortunately. But I've not looked too much into this as a positive or negative response to the cast or to the making of the show itself. But hopefully it's good for people who want to watch it. Unfortunately, in my case, I have no frame of reference for it other than I know what they look like. look a bit like Dexter. <laughs> it's going to be a
2: natural replacement for Supergirl, I think, because Supergirl's finishing, so I think it'll fall yeah. into that fan base quite easily because it's maybe along similar lines yeah it's
1: a sort of a girl power thing I guess
2: yeah good cast Chloe Bennett certainly and Dove Cameron are very good I don't know about the other one but it's a good cast Donald Faison I've recently watched a lot of Scrubs I like him he's fun
1: yeah and like that other guy we don't know who he is but I'm sure he's good as a villainous
2: (laughs) villainous monkey yeah (laughs) crazy So, okay, next, we're now going to leave the CW and we're going to go across to a Vin Diesel thing. So you might like this. I don't know. Mattel, the popular toy company, intends to turn yet another children's game into a big screen extravaganza. The company's film division has announced plans to develop Rock'em Sock'em, the tabletop game featuring battling robots as a live action movie starring Vin Diesel. To take the classic Rock'em Sock'em game with Mattel as my partner and align it with the kind of world-building, franchise-making success we have had with Universal is truly exciting, said Diesel, whose production company One Race Films is working on the project <laughs> with Universal Pictures. We basically already had this. It was called Real Steel. <laughs>
1: yeah, Real Steel's really good. Yeah. Vin Diesel does look like a toy robot. <laughs> so I guess he would fit in. His head got punched. to CJ's neck up?
2: Well, I don't know. He'll be controlling the robot, I suppose, but...
1: Real Steel was
2: Rock'em Sock'em Robots,
1: and it was a great adaptation of it. Yeah, Real Steel was Rock'em Sock'em, and it was really yeah. Just watch that. I'll make a sequel to that.
2: <laughs> I love that movie. I watched it fairly recently, actually. I rewatched it. It gets me every time. I do love it. Yeah,
1: it's really heartwarming and fun movie.
2: Yeah, the kid is good in it. Hugh Jackman's good in it. Everybody's good in it.
1: Everything about it sounds like it's a terrible idea until you watch it, and it's great. It's a Rock'em Sock'em Robots movie with Hugh Jackman controlling the robot. There's a kid, and you're like, oh no! They're like that was actually amazing.
2: You can imagine this Vin Diesel version is going to be pretty sick. It's going basic. to be
1: what, what everyone's worried about. It's what Real Steel almost was.
2: Yeah, what Real Steel could have been and wasn't. Next up, we have some Indiana Jones 5 casting. There's two people being cast, Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Mads Mickelson in unspecified roles. We know really nothing about this. We don't know the time period. We have to assume it's going to be maybe the 60s this time because it's been so long since the fourth one.
1: I'm super excited about this. I think I wasn't until they announced both Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Mads Mickelson and returning Harrison Ford. He probably will make him the villain because he's foreign and he could probably get away with being this Nazi villain or Soviet villain to go against him. But I think it'd be really fun if he was a hero character or like Phoebe Waller-Bridge was a villain. She could also be Lady Adventurer. Those two actors could do either the villain or the hero or somewhere in between or whatever this movie is going to be. I would be surprised if Harrison Ford isn't taking on the sort of Sean Connery-style role from Last Crusade. Kind of what they wanted to do with Crystal Skull, but what they didn't do really. And I think he'll be an action lead,
2: which yeah. could
1: be either one of those two. And then he'll be more of the... I mean, not just similar to The Force Awakens, I guess. He's the legendary character with the legendary hat and stuff. And this is like the new generation of treasure hunters. You could be right, yeah. And even though last time they tried a reboot, it wasn't successful and no one really liked it. It's very difficult not to get excited, because the Indiana Jones are really fun.
2: This has to be the last one for Harrison Ford, though. The man needs to just slow down.
1: Yeah, probably. Probably his last one, or at least if they make maybe a, a second one afterwards. And if they make him fairly rapidly, they could get maybe one or two in. Not to say they isn't well, but he isn't a spring chicken.
2: No, he's not. He's getting on a bit. The man needs to just settle down and stop crashing planes and breaking his leg. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he's not helping himself. <laughs> Next up, first look at Knuckles on the Sonic 2 set. They put, like, prop placeholders on set. Yeah, they're just models Models yeah. of the video game characters. Well, the Sonic resembles what he looks like in the film, and so does Tails, but Tails already looked like he does in the video game when they introduced him in the post-credits
1: scene. So this is the for the video game. And everyone loves it. I know this is getting a very strong reaction. The trio always looks good with the primary colours.
2: Yeah.
1: So yeah, they're making the right choices with this one. <laughs> After a bit of a
2: blunder with the last one. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It would be but, kind of funny if this is like we don't understand. And Sonic's just by himself and there's just a display of oh it's the heroes and he just runs past and it's like, No, it's just me, just me in the movie. <laughs> These are literally just brick cutouts for props. Yeah. But considering how robotic, accurate, they ended up making Jim Carrey, they know what's working here. They know what to do with this movie. So,
2: Except he wasn't fat. That was the only difference.
1: No, but they had the goggles and the big moustache. They got those things. They can make him more round in the next one if he's been surviving on that weird planet on fattening up weird berries or whatever <laughs> yeah. it is.
2: He has an allergic reaction to a
1: mushroom. Just yeah, he can't get his them. latte, just how he likes them. So he's had to find a replacement.
2: I'm looking forward to Sonic 2. I liked Sonic 1. That did break the video game curse for me. Well, so did Detective Pikachu. Those two definitely broke the curse for me.
1: Yep. Yeah. And is it speaking of video games? No. <laughs> no? Ah. Oh. I, well, we I suppose I could. I could it to the next video game bit of news.
2: Let's do it, yeah. Speaking of video games, Gabriel Luna has been cast as Tommy in The Last of Us, which matches up with the Pedro Pascal casting. In terms of background...
1: You can believe that they are related.
2: Yeah. I said on a previous one of these, I wasn't so excited about The Last of Us adaptation because I feel like the game does it perfectly. And I don't think that a TV series will be able to capture that because I was really immersed in the video game and the relationship and stuff. And I don't really need to see that again. I really wish this was just another story set in that world.
1: I'm in a rare position of, I enjoyed the second one, didn't play the first one, and since he announced this i'm going to go into the story in the tv version as opposed to i know some elements of the first story but i'm purposely not looking too much into it for the fun of it's gonna be a rare opportunity to watch this version as opposed to knowing the game version mm. i know that toby has more of a role in the second game and i think in the first game from what i've heard he's not as predominant you mean tommy Tommy, sorry, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. Tommy, you, you meet him at the beginning and then you hook up with him later on and then he disappears, but he actually has about the same amount of screen time in the second game if you think about it. Well, okay. You only see him periodically, although the second game is way longer, so yeah, there's probably more of him, yeah.
1: The second game is way longer and you see him from two sides.
2: Percentage-wise, it's probably about the same.
1: Okay. Well, yeah, that's no, so far so good. Quite excited about this one. Hopefully we get it. Hopefully it's not something we have to jump hoops through. Is it Amazon Prime? Is it... HBO Who, Max. HBO, no. Yeah. <laughs> I'll find a perfectly legal way of acquiring it.
2: Yes, of course. But what about this Last of Us video game remake rumour that is attached to this? The, apparently they might be remaking the entire first <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. What's there's, this about? There's, there's a similar one. They're remaking ooh, Life is Strange, the first Life is Strange in its DLC as a re-thingy. It came out on the same console. What was the other one? Final Fantasy VII? Or something. one of the most recent Final Fantasies is getting remade. You're sending it to me, can you see the difference? I'm like, I don't know, I don't know what the difference is. It's pointless in terms of Last of Us. Like, remake a game where it would benefit greatly from the upgrade. Nogus like, so I One, for example, or I don't know, a, a PS2 game that was really good. Yeah. <laughs> but games that would benefit from this massive leap in technology. Not remake a game that's you can buy on the same console. <laughs> I know they're never going to make Grand Theft Auto 6 because they can just sell Grand Theft Auto 5 again and again and again forever. Yeah, they might remake Last of Us 1. Why? What's the point? What new thing can you add to it? It already looks amongst current games. You don't need another go
2: at it. Well, the thing you were talking about with Final Fantasy, that's just a remaster of the PS4 version on the PS5, so they've just upscaled it. There's yeah. fucking
1: the PS5. Oh. Yeah.
2: So there's a lot of that, and you get your free upgrade to the PS5 version when you own the PS4 version, so you don't need to double dip, yeah. and they're doing that with a lot of things. But The Last of Us, it seems to be a ground-up remake, which is pointless, because it came out not that long ago. As you say, it's still the gold standard graphically and gameplay-wise. You can play the first and second one back to back and of course the second one looks a lot better but still the first one looks damn good.
1: Yeah, it's not pixelated block men running around a Minecraft world. (laughs) It'd be silly to do it. Yeah, next up.
2: From giant apes to giant robots, filmmaker Jordan Vogt-Roberts, Kong Skull Island, upcoming director of Metal Gear Solid, is set to direct and produce a live-action adaptation of wildly popular anime series Gundam. Brian K. Vaughan, famed comic book writer such as Why the Last Man, is writing the screenplay and will executive produce. There's no word on what the story will be for the film, but there certainly is a wealth of material to choose from. I don't know very much about Gundam, but it's giant robot stuff, so I'm probably into it.
1: He's been talking about this Metal Gear Solid movie forever.
2: It's just never going to make
1: it. They can't simultaneously work on these. So, which is coming first? Because I know they cast Oscar Isaac as Snake a while ago. So, is this Gundam movie in the far future, or not the far future? But is this a project afterwards, or are they pulling time on various ones while they're in development hell or development circles? Brian K. Vaughn is very good. Like you, Gundam is something I'm very. I'm. It's a big robot, but I don't know. My Gundam's from my Voltron's. But yeah, just make the Mel game. (laughs) That one, please. Yeah, let's see that first. Make the thing I specifically want.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So next up, Adam Wingard is set to direct Thundercats. That is a big scale feature based on the animated TV series that ran from 1985 to 1989 and several other iterations, comic books and merchandise and so on. I don't know very little about Thundercats. I didn't really watch it when I was younger. I know it's a big thing for Aaron. He loved it when he was younger. So I think he's more inclined to have an opinion on this than I am, but I'm surprised it took them this long, is all I have to say about it.
1: Say my, I'm very unaware, Thundercats. I you know it is a fairly popular franchise, and maybe they were just waiting. They want to get like the world looking right. They don't want like a Cats movie. <laughs> Thundercats, Cats movie. I think maybe this was a case of waiting for it to be able to be made to look good enough, I guess. Because I'm guessing it's a live-action version but like I said, same as you, hopefully the people who enjoy Thundercats will get a good kick out of this. But I don't have too much to add to it.
2: Apparently the film will use the animated series as a jumping off point, but then Wingard will take it in a direction he's been thinking about for many years. He's passionate about it, so he's probably the right guy to
1: have on board. Yeah, it's always a good sign when they get people who they're all in. I mean, especially if the fans of The Thing and they all, well not they all, but if you want the storylines that have been going along for the various series or threads that they want to see picked up, getting one of their own in to do it is probably the best way to go, I'd guess. Yeah, give it to someone who wants to actually do it. That makes sense. To exactly, us. yeah, Suppose to <laughs> someone who will just phone it in.
2: Yeah, I'll maybe ask Aaron about it next time he's on one of these. There'll be more news by then, maybe. We we'll might catch a at our good point. Next up, Netflix has been given a 10-episode straight-to-series order for sci-fi drama The Imperfects, starring Italia Ricci. I think that's how you pronounce, maybe Reach, I don't know, designated survivor chasing life. She was also in Supergirl for a bit, from the orders Dennis Heaton, Shelley Erickson and Nomadic Pictures. Written by Heaton and Erickson, the Imperfects, after an experimental gene therapy turns them into monsters, three 20-somethings band together to hunt down the scientists responsible and force them to make them human again. cast also includes Morgan Taylor Campbell, Rihanna Jagpal, whoever she is, some other people.
1: Yeah, I don't really know what this is. It's one of those ones where like, I don't know who these are. It sounds kind of
2: generic as a description, doesn't it?
1: <laughs> Maybe this means something to someone. It's one of those ones where it's like, I don't really know what this is, but...
2: Mm.
1: Sure, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are excited about this and want to see these actors do stuff.
2: I don't know. I like turn Supergirl. She's married to Robbie Amell as well, if you know who he is.
1: Stephen Amell's brother? Cousin. Uh, cousin. cousin,
2: yeah. He was in a f- series on Amazon Prime that was all right called Upgrade. Mm. Is that the one that's
1: like Venom, or is that a movie?
2: Or is it Upgrade? I can't remember. Uploaded, something like that. Basically, he dies and he gets uploaded to some kind of cloud service thing. Okay, no. It was all right. I watched it all, so I didn't hate it. That was last year. First lockdown, I watched it (laughs) over a little while. So I liked her, so that's why it stood out to me. I think she's good, and I want to see her in something, I suppose. Next up, Hilary Duff is set to star in a sequel to How I Met Your Mother, but this time it's called How I Met Your Father, how original. And it comes from a couple of very familiar teams Isaac Aptiker and Elizabeth Berger of This Is Us and Love Victor, an original How I Met Your Mother creator, Carter Bays and Craig Thomas. The show already has a straight to series order for 10 episodes at Hulu. Duff will both produce and play Sophie, the new Ted Mosby. Here's a description from Hulu. In the near future, Sophie is telling her son the story of how she met his father, a story that catapults us back to the year 2021, where Sophie and her close-knit group of friends are in the midst of figuring out who they are, what they want out of life, and how to fall in love in the age of dating apps and limitless options. It's how I met your mother, but with a girl.
1: Yeah, once again, I'm in the territory of I didn't watch that show. I love that show. I'll probably give it a watch. I know it
2: didn't stick the landing. I didn't mind the ending. I'm in a minority, but I didn't mind it. It's the
1: thing I know very little
2: about. It's nice for someone. It's nice for someone. (laughs) Okay, next up. Sylvester Stallone will not appear in the upcoming Creed 3. Rumours of his absence have been swirling after he responded to an Instagram user reportedly stating as much. Stallone's rep confirmed to the Hollywood Reporter he will not take part in the MGM boxing instalment, but no additional explanation was offered. Sloan reprised his iconic role of Rocky Balboa in the previous two films as a mentor to Michael B. Jordan's character, Adonis Creed. Sloan's performance in Creed earned him an Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actor. The film was followed by Creed 2, which released in November 2018. Both Creed films were box office and critical successes. Creed three will be, of course, directed by Michael B. Jordan. So that's that. He's not in it. And fine. I'm okay with that, I guess. Yeah, I've not seen any Rocky movies.
1: Okay. I know people enjoyed those but I have no idea. I don't know much about Rocky, so...
2: It's on your shame list.
1: So yes, yeah, it's one of those ones I'll never get around to. <laughs> I don't really want to. It's too far in. It's just boxing. Who cares? They're actually
2: really good. I would recommend them if you just do a bit of a Rocky binge. You would probably enjoy it.
1: Next time, I watch Fast and Furious. Alternate everyone with a Rocky. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> okay, so we're closing in on the end of our list. Netflix is closing in on a deal to make two sequels to the 2019 Who Done It, Knives Out, which Ryan Johnson will direct with Daniel Craig reprising his role as super sleuth Benoit Blanc. Johnson, who wrote the original, has written the sequels and is producing with partner Ram Bergman. Sources said the deal will be worth north of 400 million, making one of the biggest streamer movie deals in history. A sequel is expected, but the recent discrete auction that went on between three streamers, Apple and Amazon, with the others, was surprise. So Netflix are going to be releasing Knives Out sequels. Which is great, because that movie's really good. Yeah, disappointing we won't get the cinema experience, though, or at least a very limited one.
1: No, but they don't really necessarily need the big screen treatment. Like obviously everything's fun on the big screen, but the joy is in the whodunitness. It may benefit from the ability to midway speculate, which I always enjoy doing when I'm watching a Poirot or Sherlock. In the cinema, you can't really share theories. So it might benefit from the home experience. You can sort of pause it and if you're watching it with someone else who also enjoys the sleuth work of watching these sort of things, I think it's always quite fun to try and work out who done it before it's revealed. Which is always good at the end of the film. And it's like someone goes out like, oh, no, who's going to be there. It's like we didn't say <laughs> it at the time. There's no way of you proving this. Uh, I know this is very good news, though. It's a very good first movie. I'm glad that Benoit Blanc was he from was it Kentucky? The Kentucky detective? Something like <laughs> that. Is. Yeah, he's getting more play. Yeah, something's gonna be really fun.
2: Yeah, I like Ryan Johnson. I hope he gets to make his Star Wars movies.
1: I think he is going to make his Star Wars movies, isn't he? Eventually. <laughs> Eventually, yeah. I think he's still on board for that, but in the future.
2: Yeah. Okay. Our last item is another streaming franchise thing. The first season of Amazon's Lord of the Rings series will cost the streamer nearly $500 million before New Zealand's tax credit is taken into consideration. Amazon is going to spend about $650 million New Zealand in season one alone, apparently. The equivalent of $650 million New Zealand would be roughly $465 million US dollars, and that's just for production. Amazon spent $250 million just to acquire the rights TV's getting expensive. <laughs> <laughs> so they're approaching a billion dollars for one season of television at the moment. That's insane. That is wild. I think
1: Netflix have that budget
2: for as one thing.
1: It... Yeah, I mean, like, in terms of Disney Plus are making very high-budget shows and HBO are making very high-budget shows, I'm wondering if there's going to start some flexing. Like, a Disney going to try and... Spend 500 million on a series, and then (laughs) someone spends 600 million, and and yeah, these things are getting wildly cinema level budgets on stuff, Hmm. which probably can't sustain. I have no economy knowledge, but (laughs) you're not getting the box office back from TV, so I'm not sure how it works and how much money you make from subscriptions. I know the same with Mandalorian is another what they like prestige TV things are spending millions and millions on a series outlandish amounts of money i have no idea if this is a financially if it's like a long-term thing how it works i don't quite understand because in the movie it's like oh yeah they spend like this much and the advertising is this much and then opening weekend gets this there's lots of things you're just keeping subscribers or making new subscribers but the amount of money they can spend on things is absurd how worth is it for Disney to make two hundred million dollar series of Marvel shows or the Lord of the Rings thing to be half a billion per season.
2: Fortunately, it's not our job to figure this out. We just have to watch them.
1: We just That's, have to
2: watch it. Yeah. Or we just get to watch it. We don't have
1: to. Yeah. But I imagine it'll be quite an astonishing watch when it comes out. <laughs> yeah, it
2: would have to be. However, apparently season one is likely to cost actually around three hundred and fifty million once the tax breaks kick in.
1: Oh, it's only 350 million. Yeah, so it's about
2: as much as all three Lord of the Rings movies.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so that's that.
2: It turns out this wasn't the last thing because we skipped something I did want to talk about earlier because of the video game connection. So we're going to go for our actual bonus last thing. Furiosa, the Mad Max Fury Road prequel starring Chris Hemsworth and Anya Taylor-Joy will set itself apart from the previous movies of the franchise with a story that takes place over many years. Director George Miller himself defined Furiosa as a saga during a press conference set to announce Furiosa will shoot completely in the Australian Outback. That sounds horrible. Not the concept, filming in the Australian yeah, Outback. Yeah, the, the
1: Outback. Fury Road is very fun and very good. And yeah. Just make another one of those. It's great news. Yeah, I don't have overly too much to say about this. Obviously, it's George Miller's show. It's his franchise. It's his baby. He knows what he's doing with it. The last look very good. Just make it the same sort of quality again. Everyone likes Furiosa. This is kind of one of those win-win news stories. The thing you wanted is happening.
2: Yes, that's good. We have made our way to the end of our list of stuff, so that's really cool. We rattled through that and we've got some good discussion there. Is there anything that wasn't brought up that you really wanted to talk about in terms of news stories that you've seen?
1: Not news, but I have been enjoying the rumour that Disney have made retractable lightsabers. I don't know if you've heard of this. I have not. Disney have apparently... Working to Unperfected, being able to sell lightsabers that can retract into the hilt with the apparent advertisement arriving on May the 4th under the tagline, it's real, you'll be able to buy somehow a lightsaber. And I'm really hoping this is real. It's one of those ones where it's on the cusp of that's impossible, but also it's Disney. And they have all the money and scientists in the world. And they would invent this for the purpose of selling absurdly expensive the lightsabers to idiots. Like us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If, if there's one available, I'll buy it. <laughs> I'm like, Yes, an actual one that actually like, goes from the hilt to a blade. It's nonsense.
2: You might have to go to Galaxy's Edge and build your old one. Oh, yeah, and... that
1: Galaxy Edge thing. Yeah. But, yeah. That's the sort of background bit of news that I've been like eagerly awaiting.
2: I remember seeing in shops the toy lightsabers where you've got the plastic one that sort of collapses in. It doesn't go all the way in, but it collapses in on itself a little bit. Then you flick it and... Yeah. It extends but it looks crap it looks awful
1: yeah i think it must be a variation of that but with enough glow that it hides the seams or something yeah but i think that was quite a recent speculation thing but yeah that's obviously not news but that's been the big exciting weird development of april
2: that qualifies as news yeah disney are creating an actual lightsaber that's what we're taking away from yeah (laughs) But they can't sell it to people because a lot of nerds will kill themselves by accident. Yeah. It's like the hoverboards. They're too dangerous. We can't sell these commercially. People will kill themselves. (laughs) Cool. So that's that then. Anything else that you wanted to talk about? Or did we cover?
1: Don't think so. I think we've covered everything that I'm aware of.
2: Cool. Well, thank you for joining for this monthly news roundup.
1: No worries. Thanks for inviting me. This is my first news roundup. First news roundup. And you'll be back in a few months for one. If you want to see me talk again about if Daredevil's coming back or it's <laughs> it'll be the same news, just days. <laughs> yeah. In the summer. It's supposed to be warmer. Yeah.
2: Okay, so I'd like to thank Neil Stenson and 331 E-Rock for the supplied music for this podcast. And if you want to subscribe to the podcast, you can get us on Spotify, iTunes, or Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called. Any podcasting app really. If you're on Apple Podcasts, then please do leave us a star rating and a comment. Five is our favourite number but we're not picky just any number we'll do we to feed the algorithm hungry hungry algorithms that sounds like a board game that should come out at some point
1: we're the worst board game
2: <laughs> the worst board game ever
1: nobody wins
2: nobody wins you just do a little better each time I don't know <laughs> if you want to keep up the conversation with us you can catch us on Facebook and Twitter under Neil Before Blog or you can comment on neilbeforeblog.co.uk and you can catch us next time on Neil Neil Before Pod <laughs>